This is the Excavation Podcast. Welcome. Our purpose is to interview people who are raising human consciousness. And in the process, we intend to support you in raising your level of consciousness so you can be the person that you're here to be on your powerful soul mission. Also, you might consider taking new actions and producing new results through a basic guided process of detox, focus, and mastery, leading to the emergence of access to new dimensions of well-being, which we shall call Heaven on Earth, a life worth living. Hi, this podcast is supported by patreon.com forward slash exovation, the uh, anchor.fm forward slash exovation forward slash support site, uh, which actually helps me produce this podcast. And most simply by you, the wonderful listener, all you need to do is actually just listen to the podcast, including the ad from whatever advertiser I have that particular episode, and uh, automatically Anchor will send a payment through to uh, keep the lights on here at the podcast and keep this podcast coming. Thank you so much. Excellent. So we're live. Thank you so much for doing this. Charlotte Moore, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. You're on the podcast. Woo-hoo. Yeah, exactly. Right before, right before Juneteenth tomorrow. Awesome. Um, so I thought, you know. <laughs> just, just jump right in there. Yeah. Well, right, right. And um, well, thank, thank goodness our president let us know what that was all about. I mean, we would never have known at all. Mm-hmm that there's this Juneteenth thing. I mean, thank goodness he promoted it to... He made it famous. He did. I mean, that's, that's his main role. I mean, we do, we do need people to make other people famous. I mean, that's, yes. you know, for leading countries and stuff. That's the number one. I was thinking about that, though. And the truth is, there probably are a lot of people who don't, who never heard of Juneteenth. I, mm-hmm. I can believe that. Um, yeah, it just feels a certain way when the president says he made it famous. I don't know if famous is the right word for it, but, but yeah, um, I hope more people do know about Juneteenth. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I definitely researched it more, you know? Um, and it's so funny, like when you give these things, labels and names, like these events in history, like it sort of sounds cutesy almost. So like, Oh, 4th of July, like I'm, I'm basically British and Irish and like 4th of July, woo, hot dogs and red, white, and blue. And then you're like, hold on. Like that was technically my people getting kicked out of this country. Like, you know? right. but like exactly. I celebrate it. You know, I've been in America twenty years. Like, you know, I celebrate it with everyone else, and it's independence and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, but it's interesting, right? When we kind of, you know, these things get kind of codified, and you know, but then we like even like Christmas, right? You know, like mm-hmm. you know, I think Santa Claus's whole red and white garb was like a Coca Cola ad or something. Or you know, when you sort of dig onto these things, you realize. Or Thanksgiving, like what are we celebrating exactly? What are we giving thanks? For? Like, it's so interesting here in the in you know in 2020, and not to belittle you know serious topic of you know racism <laughs> with these other you know social memes, but um, it's interesting, right? That um, what we think is really going on, it seems to me, is not really what's going on. Right. Yes. Yeah. Same here. I totally get that. And you know, Juneteenth is not something that they ever taught me growing up in, in public school. It just, mm. 
but but I knew about it and a lot of the people that I knew we knew about it and it was almost like um, one of those things that uh, I'm trying to remember you know I, I don't personally remember I'm gonna lose my my black card here but I don't personally remember mm -hmm actually like actively celebrating Juneteenth because it just wasn't a widely celebrated thing each year for me. We celebrate it July 4th, of course, with fireworks and all that stuff. We go to the park and that's because that was just what was ingrained. And what black people, I, I can't speak for every black person, but you know, everybody, you sort of um, learn what you learn in school. You learn what you're supposed to pay homage to homage however you say that word and um you you go with that you go with what everyone else is doing and what that does is it takes away that much more of yourself and your identity and your ethnicity and all that and so yes for it to be something now because of everything that's going on and for someone to say i made that famous it it does hit a certain way you know it's like wow you know um yeah it is interesting yeah it's sort of like claiming the energy uh, but you know like i was saying i mean yes. for me you know my understanding now is deeper about that event and you know um and uh just how horrific i mean literally if you even look back you know in the 1960s the amount of you know like killing jfk rfk marl monroe disappear like a lot of iconic people martin luther king of course you know like imagine those times and you know kind of the you know, the whole kind of nuclear war with russia like being right on the edge and uh vietnam you know kind of late 60s early 70s i mean you know, it's in interesting, you know, what people have lived through. I think what's different for us now is there's a lot of claiming of media space and owning the narrative and the message. And, you know, where are we getting this information? I have never met Donald Trump and I probably never will. Uh, you know, so all I know about him is literally what the media has told me about him. And, you know, none of us, you know, ain't never got time for that. You know, you can't be researching everything. And I will say on the Juneteenth topic, just to kind of bring it back, is, um, you know, like, that there was a, a community that really were doing very well for themselves, extremely well, according to the American success story dream path, right? And um, making you know, the Black Wall Street and, you know, that's kind of, you know, what I started investigating and learning. I was like, wow, like that really was going on. Like there really was a group of people, you know, who mm -hmm. worked out, you know how to be successful in in this cultural melting pot of america like whether they wanted to come here or forced here or i mean technically i guess the irish and a lot of people were very poor that came over in the second wave you know like so everyone had different reasons or you know i mean of course slavery being not really a reason but you know that that's how people got here you know Why do you I mean, laugh when you say slavery well, it's hilarious to sort of think like it was an option, you know, like, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, in a dark humor type of way that, <laughs> right, it's like, you know, because everyone has their path here. I mean, the, the first wave of Irish actually came here of their own free will and built America in terms of railroads and the police and the judicial system. And, you know, so that's what I related to is like, there's a group of people that did that. Then all the movies talk about the second wave of Irish. And again, I'm butchering my own history even here, but mm -hmm. that, 
were very poor and came over on the coffin ships and you know all the stories and all the like oh poor irish family and fighting in the five points and you know the gangs of new york and and there's, there's all this kind of like romanticizing and just well that's not even the right word it's just sort of like bs history right it's not like what actually happened and, you know, we do, you know, I believe very much in the power of now, and I know you do too, about being really present in the moment, what's really going on. But there's also, mm -hmm. you know, we were also physical babies and now we're physical adults. Like there was something that happened over a period of time in a certain dimension. And that is with us now. Like what I, what I ate earlier today is giving me energy to speak now. Like, you know, there's, right. there's right. a sort of, the, right. And, you know, that's kind of where I sort of go when I don't know a topic like racism. Like, I have no clue, really, honestly, what racism really is. Of course, I know it, you know, theoretically well, or from the media. I, you know, and I would question that. I think, um, and then don't, like, please don't throw at me. Um, I'm a person, I love to read, but I kind of read all kinds of different things. Um, I haven't been reading books the way I used to, but you know, I'll hop online and read this and read that. And then I'm just always processing this stuff. And I wish I had someone there with me all the time who could kind of really say, okay, now you just read that. Now let me really break it down for you and give you the facts as they are. And, but we don't have that in life. So I don't, um, you were talking about uh, black people and black wall street. Um, None of that is surprising. I mean, we're, we're all human beings and we're all capable of so much. And um, I would say that with some of the BS history that we read, there is some truth in it. I think the, the problem is, yes, people just don't dive deeper. They don't, we don't have to. We don't, in, in right. the lives that, that we're conditioned to lead today, you don't have to know a whole lot. I mean, I'm just, you could be president, you could be, you know, CEOs of companies, you could be pretty much anything. You can get pretty far not knowing very much. And that's just the way things have been designed. Um, and that's okay, because we're always learning. We're always learning, I think. But, um, but with regard to racism, I would be interested when you say you don't know what that means, or I forget exactly how you said it. I think if you've spent any time in America, and I want to focus on America, we could start talking about, well, just for this piece, you know, it's all yeah. global. It's all about humanity, I think. Yeah. But in, in terms of America, I don't think you can live here for any amount of time and not know what racism is. You for may sure. not recognize it and say, oh, you know, that's racism. That's racism. That's racism. But it's it's all internalized in so many ways. Mm. So I would ask you, I, what, when you say that, what do you mean? Well, as lived, like I have no idea of what it's like. You know, you know, I've been pulled over by the cops and stuff. I've had things done that I'm, you know, I I'm see. like, that's mm -hmm. that's not good. But like, I've also been pulled over in Northern Ireland or been around that, you know, where it was full body armor and different accents and they were British or, you know, English or Scottish soldiers or whatever. And we, you know, we were on the side that they were supposed to be British with us. And like, you know, but there was still a fear, like there was a, a real fear of like country road late at night, which most of Northern Ireland was country roads or not much mm -hmm. street lights and stuff in the seventies, eighties. 
anyway, um, so I have, a, I have an inkling of what the fear must be like, but I don't have that. Like I didn't have that in England or in Europe or in the USA. Like, even when I got pulled over here, I've, <laughs> I can remember getting pulled over for speeding. And uh, it was the street number because we don't have street numbers really. And I was I hadn't driven much. And I was like, I, oh, I thought it was, you know, the street number was like 87 or something. That's a weird number for a speed limit. And, <laughs> and the guy, and I saw, I re- and the guy, and I was doing I was doing like 60, you know, in a 40 or something. And I told the guy, he literally laughed at me. He was like, you thought that was the speed limit? I was like, well, yeah. Like, and then, you know, I mean, I I sort of played dumb a little bit, but like, uh, that's what I honestly thought. You should glance at it. And that's the number. Like, you know, where I grew up, everything was all, you know, kind of names and, or just unnamed at all. Anyway. So my point being, you know, my interactions just to take the policing side of things, you know, was, it was very, very different. So, as as lived as a i think you know i think this is just a really good point actually to make like that you make in your movie which we need to mention your movie you know um you know black bodies matter right like right (laughs) you have a project called the black black bodies one thing i really want to say about that because i really want you to maybe talk a bit about that if you don't mind is is like you know, as much as there was a problem between Protestants and Catholics and a mixed marriage in Northern Ireland was Protestant and Catholic. We didn't have people with different colored skin. I don't mm-hmm. think I ever saw anybody ever until I was in England that had a different skin tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I may just have missed it, you know, but whatever. Um, the point you make, I think, that, that hit me as a 50-year-old white man immigrant is uh you can't avoid the black skin like you look down the street and there's the black skin you know Mm -hmm. and it's like how are you ever going to assimilate and you know fit in if you're always this psychological other like you're always different um and right based on someone else's uh right ism someone else's we're not i'm not different i'm me Right, you know, just like you're you, but based on an external force, I am different. So yes, yes. and that's the shift in consciousness that I, this, what this podcast is endeavoring to do, and bringing on phenomenal people like yourself. I always say, by the way, you're the most creative person I know because, like, everything that's like performing arts <laughs> or like, really, you're going like, to say that to the next person you have on. Well, if it's true, I will, but it's not, so I can't. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, you sing, you dance, you write poetry. Like, you're currently working. If I, can I say the name of your company? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're working at CNN on the international desk. Like you're, you know, working around the clock with <laughs> all different ideas. You're generating things all the time. Currently, um, I'm working on my desk on right. CNN would be Charlotte uh, Network News because I'm working <laughs> from home. So, but it still applies. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but like the arc of your life from you know, um, well, actually, two things I just want to say. One is. Um, the idea that there's a, there's a spectrum, regardless of skin color, which is just caused by the sun, basically. <laughs> there's a spectrum of human beings, right? There are, there are black folks across the spectrum. There are white folks across the spectrum. You certainly don't want to ask me about what it's like being a white man. I cannot speak for my gun-toting conservative friends or my kumbaya liberal friend. Like, I can't speak for them. I don't know as live. Like, you know, so it's like, you know, ask a black person what it's like. Like, you know, we both know there's a black people are people. Like, that's the thing. Right. Like, it, that, all these isms become like so restrictive. So, 
I'm just really, maybe if you could speak to the arc of your own life from like appearing in the newspaper and, you know, at 11 or whatever. Uh, through, well, let me say through. this. Let me say this quickly. Um, so just something for you to think about. And you may say I'm wrong, but um, I totally am with you. You don't know what it's like to be a black man, a black person. And I don't know what it's like to be a white man. However, if we had pen and paper, I could probably describe to a much closer degree what it is like being a white man than you could describe what it's like being a black woman. That's fair. And the reason I can do that is because our system is set up to cater to a certain group, yeah. specifically, um, you know, white men. And, and a lot of this stuff is rooted in data. It's not just, you know, yeah, for sure. Hey, Charlotte you. Moore saying this, you know, but um, <laughs> so while I've never lived in white skin, I can, I've experienced a lot more of what it must be like to be white than the, than, you know, the opposite of that because of what's been shoved down my throat, because of what I've seen on TV, because of what I've read, because of who I have to listen to, because of um, a lot of things. And um, so, yeah, that's just something I've, I've mentioned for you to kind of give some thought to, and I would love your 100%. response to that. Do you think that there's any validity in that or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're pointing at is the systemic issues. I mean, this is what we talk about within the excavation system in its entirety, healthcare, education, you know, lifestyle choice, mm -hmm. politics, on down the line, nutrition, everything. You know, um, yeah. you know, like everything we look at is systematized and, you know, even the cops, right? The cops are just the delivery end of a system, right? Like, you know, I mean, we know yeah. that they're not trained. We know from the people who've gone through the training that they don't get sufficient training. Like, you know, we know who gets hired, you know, we know the people who, you know, do right. a certain type of training and they do that type of work. And, you know, and then also you've been talking about this for a really long time. I have to say that you I've, I've known you now for yeah, 10 years. I think like, yeah, I was going to say seven, but yeah, Close. probably so, seven, between seven and 10 years. Is a long yeah, time. Good chunk. And it's really impressive. You you've been talking for a very long time about systems. And I can remember when you when I, when I first met you and you talk about this stuff, I'd just be like, what is he talking about? You know, um, and as the time people still say that by the way sorry to interrupt oh i'm sure <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely sure and now it's like i've come to um you were, were asking about my arc and um yeah i've come to realize a lot of stuff just within the last i'd say five years of my life so i'll be 49 this year i actually have to check in with my niece hannah because hannah keeps me on track with how old i am Last year, I could not remember. I was like, am I 47 or 48? And she said, Auntie Charlie, you're 48. And I said, are you sure, Hannah? And she was laughing and she says, yes, I'm sure you're 48. And she says, that's, that's still so young. Um, so I have to check in with her, but I believe I'm gonna be 49 this year. Anyway, um, it really has only been the last five years of my life that I have done I'm really proud of myself. I've done yeah. such um, internal growing. There's been such growth internally within me. Um, now, day to day, I still struggle with a lot of stuff. Not a lot. I still struggle with things. I, you know, have fears. 
I get confused. Um, I get angry and sad. Every, you know, emotion that human beings feel. But I have certainly leveled up when we talk about consciousness and um, my connection to something that is powering me because it's not me. If I had my way, I would probably, you know, sleep all night, wake up at about 10, get up, um, you know, watch a couple of movies, um, you know, eat a bunch of chocolate and probably go back to sleep. I'd be doing those things, but something has been working within me these past few years. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, so my background is in journalism. I wrote for the Austin American Statesman for a while. Then I moved to Atlanta and worked for the newspaper here. And then I went back to Austin and um, was a TV news producer for close to 10 years. And then I worked for three years at this amazing um, public education advocacy outfit. And then um, did my own thing for a while. And to make a really long story shorter, I, a friend of mine, Shelton Green, emailed me one day and he said, Charlotte, the Capital City Black Film Festival, they're accepting entries. You should do something. And I thought about it, you know, I'd never done uh, film or anything before, but I had learned so much through all that work I did that I said, yeah, I think I want to do a film. And I kind of sat with that and I said, you know, it's, it's going to be something about blackness, but what? And um, I ultimately decided I'm going to keep it simple because I'm not a great videographer or editor yet. So keep it simple. Just go find a few people, find three or four people, and just have a conversation with them like we're doing now. You know, ask them, what does it mean to be Black today? So I had my two little very cheap cameras and uh, my two little tripods, and I picked out three or four people, and I went to them, set up my cameras and everything, and I really just asked them that one question. And oh my God, the commentary that I got back was, it was like the cameras weren't even going. It was just us talking about blackness and living in these black bodies and what it, what it means. And that question is very open-ended. So, so say the question could, again, sorry, just to. What, yeah, it was just, what, what does it mean to be black? Mm. Something like that, that yeah. might not be. No, but right. what, is, what does it mean to be black? And anyway, after I did the first three or four, I couldn't stop. And then I did two more. And then I did two more. When I was done, I had collected um, interviews with 16 black people in the Austin area. And um, it was profoundly cathartic for me being able to nobody we don't this is what's so great about what you're doing we don't ask each other questions we just again go through our lives on autopilot every day and um, we're very focused on ourselves we very rarely will ask someone a question about themselves but when you do that 
so much comes out, just like with me right now. So much is coming out. Um, Beautiful. But these people started talking and it just went from one issue to, I mean, <laughs> all over the place. Mm. And then at the end of that, I didn't even come up with like, okay, I'm going to do 16 people, but I knew when I was done. And then there I was with um, an hour, at least an hour each of these 16 people. And it was like, oh my God, how do I whittle all of this down? But when I began to re-listen to these conversations, there were themes. It almost, it was like it edited itself. There were these themes. So this person would start talking about subject A. And then the second person would be talking about something, but then they would get onto subject A. And then the third person would be talking about something related to them. And then it came back to subject A. And then I saw that I had three or four good subjects, subjects A, B, C, and D, you know, and even the editing became easy. It was just a really beautiful process for me to go through. And Gordon, I don't know where it came from. I don't know. It was some force outside of myself that said, do this. And I answered that call. And lastly, I want to say, you know, I'm not saying it's, you know, great and that, you know, um, but for me, again, it was cathartic and it was something that I allowed to, to go ahead and work through me, which I don't normally do. I fight a lot. I, I don't like structure. I don't like systems. And I tend to push against them. But when I said, I'm willing, work through me, help me with this, it just, it happened. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, and of course, then, you know, the Black um, Bodies Project was, as a movie, uh, was then picked up by many different places, including the Alamo Draft House. So shout out to Alamo Draft House. People don't know or aren't, you know, around those. I think they're only in Texas. I'm not sure, but they're fairly spread out. But anyway, basically, the Alamo Draft House is a set of movie theaters um, that uh, you can actually eat and drink and you can have a beer <laughs> or whatever, mm -hmm. I believe, and uh, eat all sorts of food. They even have vegan options. So yay. Uh, um, hopefully they'll get some better vegan options, but uh, uh, but yeah, like, so this is a really iconic set of movie theaters in Austin type, very Austin vibe, chilled mm -hmm. out, have your food, watch a movie. And these guys, I think they are in a couple of places outside of Texas. Too. I think, yeah, I think it's a, yeah, it's one of the, you know, we export very well, right? Even our musicians, like the musician, uh, you know, it's supposed to be this music capital, but like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of musicians start here and uh, then go get famous in Nashville or somewhere else. Like <laughs> they don't, we don't seem to be able to, although um, Jimmy Ray Vaughan or um, yeah, what do you call him? Uh, uh, what do you call a marijuana guy? Uh, really super old. Oh, Willie Nelson. But yeah, Willie Nelson, I should know. Yeah, yeah. We've sort of commemorated, hopefully their statues will stay up, and, you know, but anyway, um, <laughs> we have a statue. Well, yeah. yeah, I think Willie's will stay up. I don't think he's known for, you know, being cruel to a whole group of people. So, well, he, you know. he murdered a lot of joints. I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> But um, cha. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so but on, on the topic of the Black Bodies Project, you know, like that's that. I mean, I've seen it a few times as a movie. I just like every time I got something new out of it. I know you've played at universities and started discussions yeah. and like. So what happened was yes, I I ended up entering it into this 
film festival and they accepted it. And so it showed here in Austin. And then I applied to a couple of other festivals It showed in San Marcos, uh, who is doing, uh, the city of San Marcos, they have people there who are doing amazing things with regard to inclusion and diversity. I kind of hate those words, you know, they've become, they've lost their potency, right? I mean, every company right. now has a, as an inclusion and diversity group, but, um, but San Marcos is doing a lot. And then it showed in San Diego. So I got to travel there and spend time with my friend Latanya and we had a, a ball. Um, so it showed at film festivals, but here was, here was the beauty of it. So the film is called Black Bodies. And um, after doing all of that, I, you know, I, something said, you're not done. You, you have to build on this. This is, you know, if, if only for me, if I'm getting something out of it, that makes me stronger. So I ended up uh, creating a nonprofit. So the film is called Black Bodies. I ended up creating this nonprofit called the Black Bodies Project. And in my mind, the way my mind works is I just, uh, thank you for the compliment and saying I'm, I'm creative. What happens with me is that there's so much I wanna do. You know, I wanna, I, I've always been an artist. I've always drawn pictures and painted. I love to paint, but I also love to sing. I love to, you know, write. I love to do all these different things and it's like, sometimes it's overwhelming, but I thought, wouldn't it be great to create a group or an organization that that's all we do is come up with new, interesting, visual, performative, written ways to talk about this idea of blackness. Um, and so I created this group and that is what our plan is. We're fairly young so we're just getting started and you know I have a full-time job so it, it's really difficult but right now we're at the point I have an advisory board and we're thinking what are things we can do that people will actually consume that, that um, and here's the thing it is about racism but beyond that it's about humanity my purpose is to get other people becoming more aware of the black people who are around them. Um, and if there aren't any black people around them, um, just be becoming more comfortable with blackness. I think that is a, a huge, that's part of the problem with our overcoming racism in this country is we're still so separated. I mean, look at Austin. It's still a very segregated town. And while it has for decades aspired to be a certain way and sort of promoted itself as a certain way, the people who live there are still very segregated. I think um, Austin, we've, there have been lots and lots of articles written about Austin saying that it's progressive and tolerant and diverse and inclusive. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with things like what you just mentioned, the film festival. So South by Southwest, ACL, we get people coming here from all over the world. You know, Austin's kooky, Austin has hippies. But that really doesn't really get to the heart of, of 
when it promotes this idea that it's diverse and tolerant, that is not what that means. If someone says to me, you know, it's a very diverse group, I think immediately I think of ethnicity and then I might think, you know, um, gender, it probably has a range of genders and, um, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think of hippies or people going to deep eddy and just being wild and free. And so we have to own up to that. Um, but if yeah. people can get more comfortable with being around black people, with understanding them, then I think a lot of things will sort of take care of themselves. I'm rambling, but- Not at all, no. I mean, you're making a great point. I think, you know, Austin now is gonna be one of the 10 biggest cities in the US. One of the things, you know, that we've kept pointing out with, with the excavation approach, experiential innovation, is that it's, you know, highly likely there's an agenda where we only have a few, maybe a hundred mega cities in the US uh, within mm. the next 20 years. Um, and for various COVID-19 and other disastrous reasons, you know, that the resources under, you know, in exchange for surveillance and kind of control and normal life uh, will, you know, have people demand that, you know, you know, that people are moving into these more, you know, mega structure kind of city environments. Mm -hmm. We're already seeing that in Austin. I think one of the, I've only been in Austin since 04, so not forever, but I know you were it's born a long and bred. Yeah, it is a long time, but you, you were born and bred here. And, you know, uh, we all know, uh, those of us that know anything about Austin know that black people were kicked the hell out of Austin uh, to the east and other mm -hmm. communities too, not just black community, but there was a generally a push. Uh, anyway, I think the point is Austin <laughs> got this relative moniker of, um, you know, being hippie to mm. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> like right. relative to the most of Texas. <laughs> I love right. Texas. I mean, Texas reminds me, and it is generically Germanic Irish. I mean, it is like a lot of the vibe I get from Texans is a sort of a, that harder edge kind of Northern European, Northern Irish, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Montgomery, Montgomery family, you know, uh, a lot of that around Huntsville was Montgomery land from my Montgomery's genetically, like DNA wise, we can trace to Sam Houston mm -hmm. was a Montgomery, you know, a cousin of, you know, uh, you know, and so that being my family, I can sort of see the connections now, you know, those are like very, very long time ago, but still, you know, you can kind of pick that up here. And I think in Austin, yeah, it's certainly been raised up uh, as a kind of a beacon to the uh, mm -hmm. the moths flying from California, you know, like right. moths to the flame. Uh, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, we are becoming a different kind of vibe here. And that, to your point exactly, how diverse is that? You know, these things right. are great, but, you know. Um, and you know, it does vote blue. That's the other thing. That's the big issue that they sort of hang on to is that it's it's a liberal town, but liberalness does not automatically mean inclusive or diverse or tolerant when you get down to the human level. Yes. I think you're hitting on a perfect point. I mean, there um I think the editor of Rolling Stone or somebody just put out an article or something, but a lot of people are now talking about like, hold on, what's this liberal left DNC party? Like what exactly are these guys doing? Mm. And, you know, I mean, I was, you know, as you know, I got involved um, with Andrew Yang and his campaign and, you know, young, progressive, <laughs> yes. humanistic. Uh, that was great. It was really awesome to watch. 
I'm a a politics junkie. I love, you know, the the job I have now is a dream job. I have always loved CNN and, and, you know, I know people have their opinions about, you know, Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and I, I just love journalism. I love, and I do think it's journalism. I think um, journalism is evolved. Um, I love the idea of reporting stories, of giving people opportunities to tell their stories, but watching that whole Yang gang, um, that was really exciting to see that, to, to watch it happen. Right, for sure. And you know, my, my point with that is, you know, it was clear being inside that machinery as I was for, you know, and met Andrew in person and everything. Um, you get to see the pushback from the system and you realize two things. One, there's definitely a system like it's not kind of sort of there's definitely a system on the left, on the right uh, that causes people to go more left or more right. And um, that these things are moving targets that, you know, it's, it is fair to say that Link, uh, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican uh, and that, you know, Don, Donald Trump is a Republican. And those are two very different presidents. You could even look at Bush versus, you know, and the, so basically there's a, it's a moving target, but it's also a system. And I also would liken it to other systems. Like how come everybody in the world kind of roughly reacted the same to COVID-19? Like there was variations on a theme, but like pretty much there's lockdowns and masks and distancing. Like how did we all, like it almost like has you think, hmm, like everybody didn't accidentally do that or were we just copying what the WHO said, but then everyone's kind of like saying that's one option of input or the CDC in America or whatever, you know. Uh, I know it's like, and then, you know, then we're seeing the Lancet, the British Lancet, uh, this which is like a very, which is a huge medical uh, a, a journal uh, that's basically like more or less handed down on the you know Moses type tablets you know like the, the Lancet says it like it's you know uh, fact and then they were like oh yeah the guy doing the research didn't actually read the data like <laughs> what and this is a peer-reviewed medical journal and then it's in guiding policy and like so it starts you know you start to really get into like the system of the system of system like who's running the whole show and just to kind of bring it back you know kind of to our kind of core topic, right? <laughs> yes, bring it back because I can't speak to the Lancet or COVID-19 right. except for what I read and hear. Right. You know, and I I really I really appreciate our scientists, our doctors. Um I I listen to them and um But that's yeah. my point. That's exactly the point I would you know kind of ask you is like <laughs> don't you think uh there you know that all of our issues might well be systemic. Like literally, oh, yes. I mean, I'm not getting into Illuminati yes. territory here, but like, if, if you trace it back, it's not hidden. Like there are <laughs> groups of people, I mean, you know, in the media, right? We can speak yeah. to that, right? We know that you, you, you sit in a media office and like whether you work, you know, you're getting a paycheck there or somewhere else in the past, maybe we'll talk about the past more, more usefully probably, you're told what angle to take on the story like inside of your media outlet, correct? Well, okay, so where, I, okay, so well, everything I'm talking about here now too is totally my opinion. And of course. I, I'm new with CNN and you know, I love my jobs. So, um, but I'm being new also means I'm not, I'm not in a decision-making 
you know, uh, for sure. Um, but I can say that in, in my former um, position, yeah, years ago, years ago, which to it. me is when it gets really dangerous at the local level, when people right. really depend on, you know, they tune in because they want to know what the weather is and they want to know what the traffic is. Those are the big, two big things. And then all the other stuff, you know, you hope they will stick around for. I mean, it's all, yes, it's all systematized. And that's why we don't give you the weather right away. We are going to give you a tease. And then we're going to tell you about all this other stuff before we get to weather, because we know that's what you really want to hear. But yes, and this has been widely documented in stories right. too, that yes. Um, you remember seeing that video clip that was circulating for a while of a hundred different anchors saying the same thing? Oh my goodness, that was so clear, yes. Scripted. And it was powerful when it came to us that way. That's because that's what's, what happens. That yes. even at your local level, you tune into Especially. whatever station you watch and you know, you, you're thinking they're speaking to me. This is really targeted and, you know, um, especially for me. But then to find out what, you know, they were getting the same thing in New York and California. It's much of it is scripted. Yes. Right. And I think that this is the, you know, <clears throat> when you start talking about more broadly systems that, that I, when I have my private coaching clients, I'm like, you know, you realize you were born into a system. Like you were born into a country. Like that's a made up thing. Like somebody made a border one time and then said, you know, they killed those people until they'd agreed the border. Right. <laughs> and then, yeah. You know, like you, know, you were born into a language, like Americans speak English, like from England, you know, like mm -hmm. most of Central and South America speak Spanish from Spain, you know, <laughs> like, you know, um, and, uh, you know, these, you know, there's a, it's a history and a geography built into linguistics, which my first field of study was language. And I, you know, I think that's one of the areas that you and I interrelate is that, you know, words create worlds, you know, mm -hmm. if I use the N word, you know, that's creating a world right there. Um, right. You know, the C word in the UK is very casually used. The C yeah. word in the US is an incredibly offensive to say I to know. anybody i have it i have still shocks me every time i i like hear. to watch a lot of foreign films and yeah. I just see that word and i get yeah it's shocking you know every right time i hear it yeah and even if you look back you know if you've been a history of of um language you start looking back specifically and you know get into narrow areas like the turkish vowel cube or the the great vowel shift of the 1500s that made my accent sound like an american accent because it was that snapshot of english that evolved in the uk and then changed in the like you start looking anyway but if you look at words though like shakespeare is a great mm -hmm. example of this where the word nice at one point in time a shakespearean kind of english meant uh bad you know, it was like, it was, it was a, you know, uh, like th if things were nice, like it's like, and today we will use the word nice in a sarcastic way. We're like, like, um, oh, she, tr she pushed that kid over nice, you know, <laughs> or whatever. It's like not nice. Right. Uh, right. or, or, you know, or that cop pushed over that 75 year old protester nice or whatever, you know, and, but like the word nice typically should really mean a positive, good thing. Like it's nice. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, these things kind of shift and move their meaning even inside of the, so even the words we're using 
to describe things and tying it back to media, tying it back to racism, you know, even black, like even this word, I think black is a beautiful word. I mean, I, th I, th I like to say black people, but I might be racist in saying that because like I'm using the color of some, I mean, you know, like we know, right? Um, black people are not black skinned. Like if you actually meet a black person, look at their skin, it's a shade of brown, a lovely coffee right. colored or, right? I mean, we know even, um, maybe most even you that told me this, when, when black babies are born, often they'll come in with some brown paper and like even, you know, they kind of see what shade of, of color well, that particular baby is, right? That used to happen and uh, it, yeah. that, right, that was within the black community and the, um, the burden of color that was placed upon all of us here in America, it impacted black communities as well, where, you know, you didn't want to be dark. And that goes back to slavery and darker skinned slaves uh, working out in the fields and not being considered, you know, beautiful, lighter skinned. You know, what, what it all comes down to is white people, the, the closer you can get to white, right the better you are. And right. so, as yeah, you know. So, yeah, that's, thank you for bringing that point up because that's so perfect. Like the more you were in the house and a house slave rather right. than a garden slave, the less right. sun you got, you know, just like the people who emigrated to the less sunny areas of Northern Europe started to, you know, I guess, you know, gain more power and control. And, you know, if, I mean, I know myself, like, you know, uh, if I'm outside running around and it's great weather, I'm going to, you know, do less like planning and structuring for world domination, you know, but if it's cold, and I'm sitting inside like, I'm, you know, I'm talking mm -hmm. to people and, you know, if you're running around, you probably aren't doing that. Now I'm being very kind of gross right. no, generalization, you. but, you know, literally the, you know, white people aren't white either, by the way, <laughs> you know, like, that's very true. You know, they're a sh the shades of pink. We used to joke about the Scottish people that actually, you know, they, cause they didn't, their skin was like, they were so white, like that they, um, they went, you know, basically if they got the sun, they kind of went from, uh, basically blue, super cold through a shade of white to like, you know, burnt kind of red. Like there was just some sort of like, you know, like even, you know, uh, people who were like, you know, even within the white community, super high. but I think bringing it back in within the black community, mm -hmm. there's a definite range. And like, I think this is a major point of consciousness raising for a lot of people that black people are people right. and they cover the same spectrum exactly. Yes. Uh, and the system treats them differently because they can be identified so easily. Yes. Um, as and I got it. I'm sorry. Identified as different. Right. I, I do want to be sure to say, you know, I am no expert. I am learning every single day with everyone else. And I love that. So things like the paper bag test, uh, brown paper bag test, you can Google, you can go talk to people and really get, um, learn about these things. Um, because I, again, I'm learning as a storyteller, I kind of see myself as a conduit through which some of these stories, uh, modern day stories that are so valid can be told. But yes, in, in the film, we talk about color. We talk about, there's a whole chapter called Skin and it's very, very real. And, and again, um, uh, Ora Houston, who was the uh, first council member in Austin for, for the district one when they split all the 
the city up in the districts. She is amazing. And she talked about uh, the rape of slaves um, and the babies that, you know, came were by multiracial. And so, of course, their skin uh, was lighter. It even goes beyond the skin. It's like um, the closer you are to having these, I mean, we're America, right? But they want to, if you think about Native Americans and their beautiful features, they're very different from, you know, European or what we think of as typical European features. But America has um, taken on this notion that the, the more your features are uh, European, so very thin nose, very thin lips, um, then, uh, and the lighter the skin, then the more beautiful you are the more worthy you are. So it was that too. It wasn't just, you know, dark skin versus fair skin. It was your features. If you had more African features, then, um, you know, you might be discriminated against more than, than someone else. It's just insane. And it's all well, a mm -hmm. construct. It was something that we constructed, you know. Not we, no. I didn't have anything to do with it. The, the <laughs> people who were in power, constructed it and we all just fell right in the step well yeah absolutely and we'll we'll solve racism here just in a minute but uh, i think just to kind of explore the problem a little further you know um i think you know the point you're making especially in the the black bodies movie and um i do want you to kind of reference at some point how people can actually why don't you just tell us where is the best place for people to get a hold so, of a viewing of the black bodies movie that we're talking about Yes, we'll keep it simple. If you go to blackbodiesproject.com, it's all spelled just like it sounds, yeah, blackbodiesproject.com, okay. uh -huh. there's a link because uh, you mentioned the Alamo Drafthouse earlier and they've been really great. So they screened the film at their cinema three times. And um, let me say this too. So after I did the film, so I had this film with all these people talking about what it feels like, what it means to be Black. And then I met this remarkable, phenomenal woman named Joyce James. I had heard of her. She is a, an Austin Round Rock-based racial equity expert, consultant. She's been doing this for decades. And um, I met with her, told her about this film. She watched it and she said, Charlotte, I, let's partner up. So what we did was we started to show this film with audiences. She was at, um, I think, all of the screenings for the Alamo Draft House. So Joyce is a, she is this phenomenal wealth of data and research. She's done all the research. She knows all the numbers. She can stand there and, and tell you statistically what's happening. So people watch the film, they get to listen to these people talk about how they feel, what they experience, the lives they lead. And then in comes Joyce to say, do not believe that any of that is just anecdotal. Why? Because we have the statistics to back up a lot of what's being said in this film. Right. So it's worked beautifully. Um, the film is now streaming on the Alamo Draft House. Did you know the Alamo Draft House has a video on demand website? I did not know they had gone that way. I knew it's it was so awesome. Mm, okay. It's so, awesome. Alamo Draft so, House. Shout yes. Out. Yeah. And so I reached out to them and right away um, 
Who's I'm the main guy in there? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I'm going to drop his name. It's, it's Tim League. And I emailed him and he got back to me right away. And he said, let's put it up. And so my little film is right there with so many other really cool independent and um, amazing films on there. But if you go to blackbodiesproject.com, there's a link that will take you right there. Perfect. Blackbodiesproject.com. And folks, even if you don't watch it, share the link, post it on your Facebook. This movie, I can tell you, like, I learned probably more in that movie than I've ever learned about what it is to be in a black body or be a black, be an other, you know, as Carl Jung talks about the other, like psychologically, what has us identify others as different and create an ism around it, you know, this labeling of others and therefore on all the oh they look this way and they do these things they eat these things and they they can do this and they can't do that like like just like carl Linnaeus and his great classification of all animals right like some sort of mm -hmm. you know <laughs> structuring of otherness of people and it's all the isms it's sexism it's ageism right. it's all the isms like it's not just well i don't want to watch a movie about racism i've had enough like you know i'm not black or what this yeah. is not about that, like folks. Like uh, that's what I'm. Like anyone listening to this, please check it out. Like, cause that's the sign of a great artist. It transcends the art, transcends the topic, and it really had me think. Like, what the hell am I doing walking around in my six foot one white body? You know, like, and who am I in the world? And like, a lot of it came at a time where I was, you know assimilating just every bit of information i just left a corporate job and assimilating all different ideas spiritual mental emotional physical and taking different things on going through divorce and all these different things and you know seeing something like that from just a friend of mine taking a camera and saying hey i'm gonna go tell some stories and then it's a freaking movie you know and which probably you know helped you along the way i would imagine too like people like heard that you did the movie and maybe that's not making you a million bucks, but it's also no. having somebody hire you at a nonprofit or at CN freaking N. Okay. Well, like, that's, that's all true, but here's, I want to say two things real quick before I forget the one thing you were talking about the other and being different. Mm. That is okay. That is totally, totally okay to yes. recognize that something is not like you. Right. That is, to me, I find that the most beautiful thing in the world is when someone is curious about that thing, not looking like that thing. The problem is when we get into power dynamics. Right. And when we take the fact that someone is different and we use that against them, and when we do it, when we do it human to human, that's bad. You know, when we do it systemically, it is diabolical and it ruins lives. That is what I'm trying to get. You'll never hear me, you know, spouting a bunch of statistics and data because my mind doesn't work that way. I see everything in like different colors and shapes and, and, and words and letters. I like that. I'm not really good with numbers, but I feel like it's common sense. Okay. It is common, again, we're talking about America, because when, when we start talking about slavery, then, you know, five out of 10 people want to bring up Africa and, and the slaves that 
Africans had and the slaves in India. And okay, I'm talking about America and what we built here from, you know, someone's ground up. Um, it is common sense to me that if you enslave a bunch of people and then when you finally free them, you don't tell them, and then a year or two later you decide, okay, well, let's go ahead and let them know they're free. And then after you do that, you keep your thumb on them by way of law enforcement, vigilantism, you still lynch them, you still rape them, you still make their lives harder than hell. And then, you know, okay, you move beyond that. And then you, okay, so we're gonna give them a little more freedom. Um, they think they, you know, they wanna vote. We're gonna let them vote, but we're gonna make it hard as hell. You constantly keep your foot on, and that wasn't very long ago when we think about the 60s and the 70s. It is common sense that that group of people will struggle. They will struggle to try to catch up. They will struggle to stay out of trouble. They will struggle to feed their kids. That to me makes a lot of sense. I defy anyone watching, listening to you. I know you're a runner. I, <laughs> I defy anyone to <laughs> say they're gonna be in a, uh, well, yeah, to, to say they're going to be part of a race. Yeah and agree to let somebody start, you know, you, you run 100 mile races. Let someone start at the 50 mile mark and tell me that's fair. And when you don't catch up, tell me that that's because you're not doing the best you can. Right. That is common sense to me. Yeah. I don't know why that's so difficult for so many people to get. Because, you know, well, I mean, we haven't solved racism just yet, but you know the. Uh, <laughs> I think we can get there. And you're pointing at something which you know any parent in, a, in any country in the world knows, right? They're feeding their kids the best possible way. I mean, first-time parents know this, and it's how that we all act. Like for something we care about, you look after them. You maybe even move physically into a school district so they can go to a certain school. You know, some parents are saving uh, uh, some savings plan, you know, kind of to go to a big university, like all these things that were setting everyone up for success. If that weren't the case, then nobody would do that. You're like, hey, we'll just go and check it out. Let's just live where we like. And let's just kind of go to the, any old school and I'll oh, just kind of feed you whatever food. And like, no. So you're absolutely right. Like, you know, um, there is a I'm spectrum. Sorry, I, feel, I feel like I got a little too loud and, um, uh, with all of that, I try to, you know, remain calm and that I get fired up when I think oh, about please. it. please. No, it's perfect. Absolutely. Please, please. It's absolutely my honor to, to get your perspective on. I'm sorry, I'm speaking so much. You know, the, um, I think what you're pointing at is, is exactly where we need to be looking. And uh, not so much to fix the past, but to create the future. And it is a spectrum, right? I mean, you're working in a, in a great journalist job right now from beginnings that might not have pointed in that direction from right or supported friend, that or supported that your brothers if i may mention that are you know have jobs they where you know people would look and say hey american dream successful they don't yes. have run-ins with the police uh they aren't being put in jail for marijuana offenses, you know, uh, whatever, <laughs> right? I know yes. Right. Well, you know, I, yes. again, I'm just using, you know, that right. kind of personal, and uh, I don't want to get into your. No, they're not. But yes. Right. 
but you know, there's a spectrum there too. Like, you know, and people are like, well, you know, I'm just kind of taking devil's advocate. Like, well, you know, it's a 20th cent. Like anyone can go to school and get forward. Like, yes, you kind of can. And we do know, I mean, you could probably speak to, there are personal examples in your own life where mm-hmm. even your own family members have gone a certain one path or the other. Like there's a, there's a right. way to do that. And to your very point, like there's an underlying scarcity of support and an underlying scare, uh, kind of poverty of stimulus, right? It's basic behaviorism that Carl Skinner would talk about or the Jungian stuff to kind of, you know, just take it more kind of my more kind of comfortable zone of basic human behavior that if you do, if you reward certain, you know, things either in society or just inside of a family or whatever, if you reward certain things, you're probably going to get, you know, over time, uh, certain brain patterns, therefore certain behaviors from people. And if you do go the other way, you'll get other things like certainly. Right. right? And, you know, I think that this is, it's, it's all systemic. If you treat police in a certain way and tell them it, it, they're scary criminals out there, they're going to try to shoot them and arm them and right. all of these different things, um, you know, uh, and they're trained to a certain, they're not Harvard PhDs or whatever, you don't need that, but like still, you know, they've taken a less academic route and they maybe, you know, on the whole are more, you know, physically oriented and, you know, if you, so, mm-hmm. you know, but then we blame the end result and then, but right. we look and then we say, well, how did this system get created? So, and again, that, that policing goes all the way back. You got to, take that thread and pull it and pull it and, and, and take it all the way back. Your well, listeners should probably do some Googling of, yeah. you know, law, law enforcement in, in history and what it was designed for. Who were they there to corral? Um, the history does matter. And the culture, the, the thinking, the culture of that, a lot of that still exists today. And what you were just saying about, yes, everybody, this idea of everybody really wanting the best um, and the most for their children, all things, cons- you know, if all things were equal, we would see that in the result because to believe that, um, I would say to believe that there isn't some system at work here or that slavery didn't have any impact on what's happening today for those people who just say there's every opportunity out there you know there's even extra opportunity for black people with affirmative action and yada 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 um if you look at the statistics the statistics tell us that in all of these systems that you've been talking about for so long black people and native americans have the poorest outcomes. So in health, education, the economy, um, any system, criminal justice, any system you name, Black people and Native Americans have the worst outcomes. So you would have to really believe then that white people who have the best outcomes in every system are smarter than everyone else, are more just innately more healthy than everyone else, um, are better able to buy a home and keep it than anyone else. Um, logic tells me that is not the case. And I can even go beyond logic and look at one simple um, example that's representative of a lot is the FHA and the housing loans that many, many white people were able to get that black men were not able to get 
or redlining where certain neighborhoods were um, okay for, for white people and black people could not, you know, there were systems set up that kept black people out of certain um, neighborhoods. This is why I get loud and this is what makes me so angry. Be loud, I, please. I read an article in the New York Times and they've crunched the numbers. It would take black people 200 years to amass the kind of wealth that white people have. And wealth is typically found in you know, your home. It's just not there. We, we didn't have that foundation. And so I think to, for, for black people as a whole to have gotten as far as we've gotten, I'm pretty freaking proud of us. And I say us, I feel like, you know, personally, I've had it pretty easy. But now that I'm older and I'm able to do the research and really process what a sham all of this has been, I get really angry when people start talking about, you know, the people in Chicago shooting each other up. There is a reason for that. It is not because they were born with guns. These, you know, young black babies come out of the womb ready to fight. No, these are systems that have pushed certain groups to their limit. And so here we are. Yeah, well said. Preach, sister, if I may say it that way. No, really, for sure. Like, this is what people need to start, like, you know, not need to, but and could consider looking underneath, you know, all of the systems that we live inside of. They're all hierarchies. They're all broken in the same way because they're all designed in the same way. Like we, you know, why are we celebrating freaking Thanksgiving? Like the way that we are, like, why are you having a turkey? Yep. Like, what's that about? Why that? Because you know, we've and, always done it. Right. And we don't even know what we're doing. Why, we don't. why are we doing, you know, 4th of July? You know, people don't know. Like I look at Memorial Day and all these different days. I had to learn a lot of this right in America. Like, you know, Thanksgiving is for my birthday is I'm like, thank you. America for celebrating my birthday all month but you know it's like you know I just like I mean I'm joking obviously but you know it like sort of made it like like oh great give thanks for Gordon you know day um you know like um yes. and uh but like to me it was almost farcical but I get it right it's a it's a it's a great day of serious celebration for people and but do people really know what they're giving thanks for I mean you start looking underneath it then you know the far left are starting to say you know like it was killing off the American American Indians and so forth and mm-hmm. um, you know um, like why are Indians even called Indians like where did that name like why it like because somebody came here looking for India and find the you know <laughs> the wrong place so like it was a mistake or and there's even historical record that say the Irish and then the Vikings discovered these lands uh, even longer you know um, before you know Christopher Columbus and like even even those guys were all inside of systems like they weren't like oh let me go find some lands like no go take places get the resources um control it in some way you know and then we have the Jesuits coming in as a whole story you know of you know the Americas and how you know religious things were kind of swapped out from what they had and you know kind of the crusades and even in like the 12th and 10th century in in Europe and you know, all of this kind of like gets mixed in together with these power systems of religion, of education, of saying like, well, our way is better, you know, and right. we're just going to put that hierarchy in there. And then 
Now, the thing I'll, I just want to kind of wrap up this little piece, because I think we're, you know, bringing it right back to modern day, what we're now probably going to see, a little predictive mode here, is people being blamed for uh, increasing the coronavirus issues, right? People that have had all their jobs, all the retail, the 40, 50% of America who earn about 40, 50K a year, if they're lucky, uh, in retail work, which has been like, you know, the poorest section of society that wiped out, which disproportionately affects people of color, if I can say it that way. And those people who went out and protested for Black Lives Matter and many other things that they had just had enough of. And thank God it is having the conversation at right. least happen, whether we get results on those people, I would clairvoyantly, perhaps, if I may say it this way, um, it's highly likely they will then be blamed for the spread of coronavirus. Now, again, I'm just making a whole little story there. And, you know, so if you, if you go out there and say, hey, by the way, this is wrong, we need to change that, and you do it in the way you think, you know, you're supposed to do it by protesting and letting people know that and see that, then you get to, I've even seen people reopening restaurants and, and people going into the restaurants to try to eat their food with their masks and sitting, you know, like whatever it is, six feet apart, like having the most horrific, I mean, that'd be a restaurant review one star, right? We went to the restaurant, they made us sit apart and we had to wear masks and like, you know, like, right? And already, already there are news stories coming out of people like getting, you know, upset in restaurants, but we're reopening them. Well, now the people are, well, you shouldn't, you know, blame you know, but the people are going to have the experience and help the restaurant and do all these. So anyway, I'm just putting up a lot of like little micro examples together. What yes. we're going to now see yet again is the hierarchical system, you know, reopening everything. Oh, just come on out and do it. Like, yeah, well, you can protest. And, you can, and then coming back and then blaming the people, just doing what humans would normally do um for causing the problem and making it worse but when you really go back and back and back and see what's underneath it and how that incident occurred it's actually the system itself creating right. thinking what the solution is that they want which is more command more control of the whole system so they get more power more resources to going to the top of their system and yes. therefore they create a response in people which is the natural normal thing that any human would do and then point at you know the people themselves as well, being. Well, it's also very. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, that's it. it it's also very hypocritical. Um, yes, and I, I, I do personally. I agree with a lot of what you just said, but it's also very hypocritical when um, when we talk about power structures. I know you and I have talked about. You know, you mentioned the four Illuminati and. I'm interested in all that stuff, but it's just, oh, that there's so much right here on the ground that we really need sure. to handle. Sure. But anyway, when we talk about the power structure of our nation, you know, the truth is when the people who are in, who have the most symbolic power don't even um, promote the things that our scientists and doctors say will, will help us keep this, it's a virus. It does not know color it does not know right you know and the only reason that people of color are disproportionately impacted goes back to the, the systems that we've created that make them more vulnerable in a, in a number of ways like being frontline workers or um, not having the health care they should have all that stuff but when you're when your symbols of power be they people or let's say like congress or 
White House Coronavirus Task Force or whatever that symbol of power is, when they don't even follow their own rules, but then they want to blame ugh, the people beneath them, quote unquote, for doing what they're doing, then that it's just in your face hypocrisy. And um, you just have to, you have to recognize that, see it, acknowledge it and recognize it and then make better choices. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, you're a prime example as a human being of someone who's made, you know, really great choices in the face of many confrontations, personal and, you know, economic and otherwise, and got to where you got and created what you created. I'm sure you can see a whole path ahead of you. And those of us who are out there creating something like this podcast or whatever, it's nerve wracking as well, right? Like you're like, I don't even know if I'm doing this right. How long is right. this going to last, right? And you're like, but there's something in us that's like, oh, like I want to, I want to do that. Like I don't, this is my art form. Like right. my, like, and this is, somehow what I'm here for, where am I going? What am I doing? What, you know, what money is it going to make? Like all this internal little egoic limbic brain voice of fear. And then, you know, there are other people saying, well, you know, look at these people, they're not doing it right. Like, what would you do if you were under that much pressure? If you had yes. that much of your structure taken away, like you say, you know, okay, all right, we were slaves. Now we're just being set free. And by, and by the way, um, for folk, uh, I don't know if you, I think I maybe I might have shared this with you in the past, but there are videos on YouTube of interviews with actual slaves, mm -hmm. people who were slaves um, in the United States who, at the, many years ago, somebody did documentary filmmaking and actually had conversations. And I just recommend anyone to, to go and listen to some of these conversations because what literally happened mostly was mm -hmm. slaves were just set free. Now imagine you're taken from a tribal structure and I have another guy coming on the podcast later um, uh, who, uh, Emmanuel uh, Kirunda, my friend Sonny, he's, he's nicknamed Sonny, and he's written books about Africa and about tribalism, about Europeans and about all these structures, the kind of more academic approach to it, but really looking at, you know, how does, you know, but imagine you're coming from this tribal structure, you get dropped into this other kind of more European structure and you say, okay, and you fit into it and you work in the house, you work in the fields and, you know, this is certain, like, it's just like modern day, right? There's a certain structure that you fit into and okay, oh, I can work it. I mean, I don't mean to be derogatory, but like, Starbucks or Popeye's chicken or wherever it is you go to work you just you know you manage to get a job or you know you get it go to Dell computer because you got a degree and you work in marketing whatever it is like whatever level or part of society or whatever you know but it matches the social stereotype or it doesn't like whatever and then that gets taken away then that whole and then somehow you're to blame you know as right. a group because there's a spectrum right. in the group right there's a there's I know plenty of people with black skin that have never had a run in with the cops ever. Like right. it's just never, you know, Dave Chappelle has been pulled over as well. So it's a whole, it doesn't matter who you are, what level, you know, different experiences will happen. So to, to the issue to my mind, and I want to kind of see if we can get just to solve racism in like five minutes, <laughs> you know, tongue in cheek slightly, but you know, mm -hmm. there's, to me, there's two parts. One, there's a system and and the other part is there's poverty. And I, I look at this from Northern Ireland perspective, like the terrorism in Northern Ireland 
um, really grew up, and if you look at any terrorism in the world, anybody doing anything, like they, there's some sort of poverty, some lack of resource, some scarcity, some fear, some powerful structure, be it a government or whatever that says, you know, you must do it this way or else you're not going to survive, you're not going to look good, you're not going to be a star, you're not going to be important, you're not going to be relevant, whatever, like some fearful power structure, and then you react against it. If you really don't know how to get into that structure, then you start reacting against it in, in some way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, to my mind, you know, a lot of the, we've talked a lot of examples and kind of opinion here, and you're certainly very powerful and strong and, and relevant opinion. Um, if you were to look at that idea of poverty, though, like, is, do you see that maybe as something close to the core of not necessarily economic, but just this idea of lack of um, mm -hmm. that poverty might be something um, you know, underneath all of the isms that we're experiencing? Yes, is the short answer. But it is not the poverty that we see when we look, when we're driving down the street and there's someone panhandling. It is the poverty of the powerful. What the powerful may have in terms of money, wealth, property, people, all that, they lack in empathy, humanity, compassion. They are the, you know, what is that? I am no biblical scholar. I'm no scholar of anything. And I wanna say this before I forget. If, if people listening walk away with one thing from me, it is that I am just like anyone else out there. I'm no better, I'm no worse, I'm like everyone else. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have, I mean, I am learning, I am learning. And I truly believe that each of us has something to offer to any number of these isms or problems that, that we face. So I wanna make sure people know that. But, my personal opinion is there is definitely poverty, but we're looking at it the wrong way. If we could somehow, um, you know, when, when people talk about reparations, I struggle with that. I do believe that, um, yes, you can't start, you can't get a head start and expect a whole bunch of the people who are, you know, behind you to ever catch up. I, I, get that. And I also get that, again, the way we've structured our society, I have no problem with affirmative action. I have no problem with doing whatever it takes to get some of these people who have been forgotten and not, not only forgotten, but actively like kept down. Yes, remove your foot from them and, and, and give them what they need so that they can do what they can for their communities and their families. But we've got to see poverty in a different way. The, the stuff that we value here in this country is like, oh, Hollywood, famous people, someone drives up in a Lamborghini. You know, it's like that's the stuff that we admire and it's all connected to money. What really makes us, oh, I was going to say I'm not a biblical scholar, but um, you know the verse about uh, the meek inherit, what is the, the my mom would kill me, but. Just, the, meek, the meek shall inherit the earth. Right, and uh, the first shall be last and all of that. Really think about those concepts. 
that what we have placed power on may not, um, we, we may have made huge mistakes making those things so valuable. Yeah. That um, the poverty, the lack is the stuff of humanity is what I believe. Am I making any sense? Oh, 100%. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, just to kind of pull the threads together, perhaps a little, you know, what I'm hearing is um, that each of the little actions that we take, even though we think it's irrelevant and small, like if we feel mm -hmm. a burning passion or desire to do something, then do it and it will it. make a difference. Right. Like it and will, you don't need, you don't, you don't need a bunch of money to do it. You don't need to know the right people to do it. You don't have to be any color or race or ethnicity to do it. If you, when you feel that calling and we each know it you know when something is like you need to do this you need to go to that person you need to say this you follow it do it yeah 100 percent. i mean to me that's not solving the isms and it's like the one thing you can really control <clears throat> is your own life you know to whatever extent I mean, we're all we all have um self-sabotage patterns and uh right. we also we also have you know friction to various degrees in front of us um you know uh, it, whatever social systems you're in and you know if anything is uh, apocalyptic or you know creating a revelation to give it its true definition um at this point in time it's that each individual human being can make a difference unfortunately we have the weak weak bonded uh, kind of social media where we kind of sort of know people online. They're not really deep and meaningful connections, but we have that where anybody can start becoming viral and sending these messages around. And typically it's, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, right? If it's uh, that old right. newspaper, right? So anything that's nasty and horrible will definitely get travel around a lot more than, you know, and, and so even some of the things that are lovely, they get sent around, but they're just so sweet and innocuous, like kitten cat pictures or, you know, babies or what. I mean, it's beautiful that they have flowers or, you know, it's great that these are sent around. And then you actually look at the kind of like results in the world, right? People are definitely going to react and, you know, have emotive reactions to the negative because it, it, you know, it clicks into that, you know, base brain, that fight or flight response. And it goes back to that otherness as well, where you can see something other and go danger, or you can see something other and go curious, interesting, you know? Right. And, and, uh, and I, I disagree with you a little bit about those things, not solving the isms. I think that is what is going to solve the isms. I think that, um, you know, that, that, graph again i'm terrible with numbers but there's that graphic that shows the one percent and how much um it's it, it, i think it's a bar not a bar chart but it's a line graph and it shows right. the one percent make this yeah. much and then there's this big dip and then it goes down and it's like a huge chunk of the rest of us make this much with regard to income or money yeah that's a hell of a lot of people in that bottom part, you know? So it's like the line is straight, straight, straight. It goes up a little, goes, goes, goes. Then all of a sudden it just shoots up. So in my mind, it's like all of, we've all been so brainwashed that the majority of the people are propping up a lot of these systems that only ben that benefit only a few people. You follow me? What yeah. I'm thinking in my head? Yeah. So, when we think about poverty, imagine if all of those people who are really not 
gaining a whole lot, you know, like you said, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. I mean, that really is not enough in most most urban cities to take care of everything you need to take care of, especially if you have family. But imagine if all of those people worked in some form or fashion in order to redefine what we value. And we're seeing that. So the um, Supreme Court justice decisions, the two that have just happened, these are very small steps. Like that's what moves them. Um, these very small steps creating a more fair, more equitable, more just, more compassionate world for everyone. I believe that is what it's going to take. All of these meek people who have for so long just sort of played along with this idea of how our system should be. Awakening, this great awakening that we, we really have what is truly valuable. And um, I agree with I could, I could see that um, all of those little actions working to solve a lot of this problem because all the isms are really just about humanity and how we, how we relate to one another. Right, it's just, yeah, it's this macro labeling of the world and social media is not social, it's actually antisocial. I mean, it's all yeah. the things you would do to be antisocial just like everything that's being that's happening out there in the world and society and with political and other rules that are now being imposed and the next disaster, next disaster, all at the same time, like all of those things are all the things you would do if you wanted to end, you know, the current social way of interacting. And I think you're right on the money. And it's kind of, you know, you said it much better than I did about if more flowers were shared, if more cats were shared, you know, if more poems were shared, if more songs were shared, people's creativity were shared. Um, like that's one of the things I like right. about TikTok, although it's kind of, you know, this hilarious <laughs> new platform and I, you know, it really makes me feel very old. Um, mm -hmm. But it's addictively hilarious, you know, and I'm sure mm -hmm. highly distracting and making money for people that aren't me. But, you know, if we really could share our creativity and create our lives from now, from nothing, regardless mm -hmm. of what you think is in front of you, that, and, you know, you're definitely an example of that. Like, no, you know, and I think to a certain extent I am too, in terms of you can reinvent yourself and say, you know, gosh, darn it. Like I just did a video on uh, two years ago. I said, I just got this thing. Like I'm a healer. And even like saying I'm a healer, like what I heal people like Kumbaya, come to me and I'll end your cancer. Like, I, you know, mm -hmm. I get the ridiculousness of saying that. And I just got something about around me people have a space to become whole, to become W-H-O-L-E, to become mm -hmm. holy who they, and holy, H-O-L-Y, like they can get in touch with their own divinity. It's not from me, it's through me. And like, and that's what I get around you and others that I'm talking to now. It's like, there's an ability we all have, and if we don't have it, we can train ourselves to detox and focus and then master the ability to have an emergent life, which, is, which looks like letting that divine creative energy, God, if you will, give it up to God or soul or spirit, whatever you want to call it, and allow that to flow through you. Uh, totally. Especially in this golden window of opportunity that's opened up and this revelation. And I want to say, it, it's not, I'm not naive. What I say with regard to empathy and compassion, and it is not to say that those things alone will solve all of these major problems we have. 
you know, um, I'm a human being. So I fall somewhere in between Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and Malcolm X, and I'm probably a little closer to Malcolm X. Those people, um, I used that example of the 1% and the money. But in, in whatever situation we're talking about, those people in power are not going to come down, you know, easily. It's not going to be with, some of it's going to be painful. Some of it, you know, there might be a little bit of violence. And I've said this before, whenever I hear someone complaining about the violence that happened during these protests, do not give me that. This is America. We have more guns per capita in this country than any other country. We have more mass shootings in this country than any other country. Do not talk to me about your fear of violence. America has made it very clear that it is okay with violence. It just kind of wants to cherry pick what kind of violence is you know, valid. It's not gonna be simple to change the systems and the structures. But I do think it's it's some of it's it's necessary, you know. Um, it feels yeah. necessary. Yeah, for sure. And, and I know being Irish, right? And people are always saying, you know, about the Irish being violent. But I, you know, I do. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a fieriness, a passion, right? That, and it can yeah. be channeled and used in a really powerful way. Um, I think that's one of the beautiful things about different cultures as well. I mean, everybody I've met who's Irish anywhere, all over the world that I've traveled to, I know you've traveled to, um, was an energy in an Irish person. Like, did they, you know, that's okay. Like, and you know, uh, people who are black, there's a, you know, um, most people I've met who are black, and it's probably only a few dozen or maybe a hundred total ever, I don't know, that actually talked <laughs> to, like, you know, it's probably not a big number, yes. know, but, right? But And that's okay, there are not very much, there aren't very many of us. In, right, 10% of the population, but yeah, but right. still, my point being, you know, when you, there's a thing right like there's a creativity among the black community yes. like there's a real creative with the kids how they interact with each other how white kids interact uh, i love how someone said that in the film so simone washington who's young i think she just graduated college gosh she's amazing like a, just a, an activist and so beautiful and and at the end i asked you know i asked them uh, everyone what do you like about being black and she thought about it and she got this big smile on her face and she said, you know, there's just intrinsically, there's this rhythm, this beat, you know, and, and she says, I play the, the saxophone and I just like to just rock out, you know, sometimes. And her face just lit up. Yeah. Um, and all of that is okay. It is okay to have cultural, there are absolutely things culturally that make us different. Again, it's just when we, use those things against one another that's really horrific. Well, exactly yes and so um i think yes yeah yes i'm yes, sorry yes. I, I think i cut you off but you were not at all talking not at about all. yeah yeah and I, yeah i 100 what you're saying you know i think it's you know just to kind of like uh make a little, uh, little kind of point here is that um you know in us identifying people as other, especially if they have a different colored skin or accent or whatever that, or, or, or sex or so, whatever is very clearly, you know, a dis real distinction, right? No sort of subtlety of nuance of conscious awareness, but just like when we just use that broad brush, mm -hmm. we actually harm all of us. 
Right. And because we actually are then preventing that creative energy, be it a basketball player or whatever the generic thing is, right? Yeah. Um, but there's an energy in, in people, not just, you know, people who are black, skinned or whatever, whatever you want to say. I should get a better term. What, what is the PC? Like African-American, I suppose. But I want to mean all people with black skin in the right. world. Oh, but. Black is fine. And, yeah. You know, I, yeah um, thank someone, you. I was listening to that. Um, it might have been that Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And Matthew McConaughey had a talk with this guy. I don't know if you've seen that. But I think that question came up. And the um, black man was actually right. Not everybody in America who is uh, black considers or, or, or of African descent. Um, I don't know, maybe at the very, very, very root, we're all African, we say. But some people are from Trinidad and Tobago. Some people are from Haiti. Some people, you know what I mean? So he was saying that he right. thought black was probably a very um, okay term to use at this point, I, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I think My so project too. is called the Black Bodies Project. Now, I do have issues with black, but that, you know, I've gone ahead and adopted that. And the reason I have an issue with it is because of the connotation. I, I love the color black. I, yeah. but you're right, we're not black. You're not white. It's all a construct. And so, but black, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I think that, again, you know, emphasizes the point. I, th I definitely want to pick up on the point of the, the different collapses that we get in consciousness and the more spiritual kind of the bigger vision of humanity and, uh, you know, not just the negative problem side of things, but also the creative side. But um, I would say I, this. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, what's this your, is your show? Well, I was going to say that one of the things that's helping me, or no, it's not helping me, I am working with it, is um, being open, like being open. It's very easy to listen to someone and just say, I, I'm not going to listen to that person. I know. Um, and a woman that um, uh, Dave Chappelle mentioned in his uh, new 46. special, yes is Candace Owens. And I had heard about her, but I hadn't really, I, I think I heard one thing from her and I totally shut her down. And then when he mentioned her again, I was like, oh yeah, I meant to go circle back. And so I did. I am really confronted by her. And so I'm continuing to tell myself the way for me to grow is to be open. Right, because um, she's really a conservative black woman. That you would yes. probably say, right? Yes. She, exactly. And she's very, very, um, she, she knows her stuff and she stands there. And this is what confronts me is I imagine a lot of conservative people, and I'm just going to say it, I, I would imagine a lot of white people listen to her and think, now that is the kind of black person that we all need in our lives. That girl has got it going on. She's speaking the truth. And I think what's missing in everything that she talks about is context. And um, I'm, conf I'm confronted by that. Like I'm really actively thinking, how can I accept, how can I take in what she's saying and process it in a way that helps me? Um, yes. Because some of what she said, I've learned, like, like historical stuff and data. 
but that is not enough. You really have to, when you talk about wholeness, W-H-O-L-E, context matters, you know? Um, yes. So, yeah. Yes, and that's a lot of what this podcast is about, is about raising your level of context yes. and your awareness. Um, and just that's kinda, what made me think about that. Yeah, that. perfect. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I do want to delve in there. Uh, I do want, don't want to step over the thing I was kind of going through um, all the great things that you've created to start altering the context around the black experience, if I may say it that way. Um, you know, not just your movie, but uh, a book and uh, yes. many other pieces uh, that I do want to pick up on as well and talk a little bit about and also how you got to that point, maybe more personally, kind of in the second part of our discussions here. Um, <laughs> the thing that I would love, oh, thank you, just is such a great conversation. Thank you. I hope everyone's enjoying listening to it. I certainly am enjoying it. Um, the, um, the piece I just wanted to kind of, if you could maybe say a couple of words about your song. You had recently, I know you create oh, yeah. songs and um, kind of put them out there. And recently, I think you created a new one where you were kind of assembling uh, you know, some of your thoughts and ideas, uh, just kind of creatively and kind of starting to put that creative context out there, just like, and uh, you know, as a great example of just like how your life is just, you know, you can just create something, um, without a massive audience or a massive technical backup or whatever. And just, and so maybe you would say a little bit about this song and I want to play it, um, here on the podcast as well. Yes. Thank you. I'll be quick. So it's really my alter ego, Charlie Sunbeam who does the singing. Mm -hmm. And um, that song was actually written, I think 2017. But it, that was at a point where I was really starting to think about my consciousness and the lyrics to the song really describe what I feel in my heart, that there is some place beyond what we day to day, like little ants here, you know, go through our daily stuff there is a place beyond, you know, that is pure consciousness and, and it's a beautiful place and it's home. It's, it's where we are really meant to be and that this is just our journey to get there. It's one of my favorite songs. Brilliant. So um, we'll now just take a little pause and uh, play that song. So, uh, and what's the title of it? Ride on a Star. I, I can't believe I just blanked it but it's called ride on a star like actually riding on can you imagine that whenever i think about that how i would love to just be able to straddle a star and just zoom through space just as far as i could go Yeah. Hungry 
Hi, this podcast is supported by patreon.com forward slash exovation. The uh, anchor.fm forward slash exovation forward slash support site, uh, which actually helps me produce this podcast. And most simply by you, the wonderful listener. All you need to do is actually just listen to the podcast, including the ad from whatever advertiser I have that particular episode, and uh, automatically Anchor will send a payment through to uh, keep the lights on here at the podcast and keep this podcast coming. Thank you so much. Fantastic. So hopefully everyone enjoyed listening to that. with the I think that's the name of it. I hope that's the name of my song. Well, I didn't yeah. expect you to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I ask. I ask the most probing, in-depth questions. Uh, but just your... play the damn song. Don't it's... ask me what it's called. Yeah, I know. Well, we've just we've just listened to it. It's just been played. So, okay. um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the powers of my editing. Hopefully, it'll uh, it'll have. You're been... good at this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, thank you. Yeah, and I love, you know, your imagery of, you know, riding on a star. And I think, you know, um, you know, it, it makes me think of your, your own life, you know, uh, for, you know, the amount that I do know about it um, and how you kind of a bit more personally have, you know, overcome a lot of personal struggles, uh, but also just even from a work perspective of, you know, getting getting published for the first time at like 11 years old or you know and so could you speak a little bit about uh, you know yes. the beginnings of of your experience and your family uh to whatever extent do you want to go into the personal details but i think i think it's really a great revelation of and people are like well I, you know i've just lost my job and all these things in 2020 yes. and it's getting worse and we can't pay the rent and blah, blah. it's like yeah. well you know here's where i came from you know, there's some real issues. People are people are really going through some real heavy stuff, and um, I'm, I'll keep it short because I know our time is wrapping up. But I'll, I, I, yes, I'm so pleased you remember that um, I was published when I was really little in two ways. Um, first of all, my mom is just one of the strongest women I know and the older I've gotten the more I appreciate her and I see what she did to raise us kids um she was a single mom my dad was there and he was instrumental and he helped when he could but day to day which is you know really impactful that's what really creates a child is that day-to-day interaction my mom um, I don't know how she did it, but she did it. And, uh, but it was my father who took a poem of mine that I'd written to the villager, which was a small little weekly uh, in East Austin. And they published my poem. And then um, the Austin American Statesman, when I was, um, I don't know how old I was, 11, 12, uh, I won an essay award. And I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be a writer, that whatever I would do would be writing. And then you go through life, ups and downs, all sorts of things happen. But at 24, 25 years old, I landed my first job at the Statesman and they really grew me and and, um, were wonderful to me. And then then I moved out of, I won Rookie of the Year Award at the Statesman. It was awesome um, for that year. 
and stayed there for five or six years. Then again in Atlanta, worked for the, the, uh, the paper here in Atlanta was the headquarters of Cox News, uh, of which the Statesman was part at the time. Right. So I worked here for a while and then got homesick and went back home uh, with my daughter. Uh, who was also phenomenal. I am surrounded by phenomenal women and phenomenal people. It's, it's, uh, yes, I could go on and on. My daughter is teaching me so much about uh, the transgender issues, which helps me with the work I'm doing. If I want people to understand me with what I'm saying with race, this Haley, my daughter is helping me to sort of, she's teaching me a lot about uh, transgender issues and what that all means. And so I'm giving and taking, it's just been beautiful. But yes, I've gone through some, like most people, some personal trials and tribulations. And I'm not gonna get too personal here, but I will tell you that um, I have hit bottom, my personal bottom, I've hit probably three or four times. Um, emotionally, mentally, uh, with substances. And what I know today is that if you answer the call, that is not a religious idea. I'm not talking about religion. I'm saying if you answer that spiritual call, you will not go wrong. And you can, you know, rise up out of whatever uh, situation you're in. You, you can rise out of it and, and really working where I am now is a, is a dream of mine. And I have other dreams that I really can't wait to, to see come true. It's possible. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is the thing that most people miss out on that they, they see the, they see the baked pie, right? <laughs> they see the, mm -hmm. the end result. They're like, you know, you know, well, they do one of two things. One, they think it's easy, right? Everyone can be, you know, uh, the great whatever, you know, the great uh, Michael Jordan or whatever. I think everyone can do it. So they follow a path that is not really for them, but they think that's going to be great. You know, and they don't see all the hard work and all the steps. Um, or they have the opposite reaction. They think, well, I can never do that at all. So both of them are like, you know, it's either the chaos or the control path. And like, you know, like the Buddha or many other, you know, um, traditions have taught us really it's the middle way like everything's on a spectrum there's the uh, there's the divine above the earth below and then the kind of the masculine energy to one side and the feminine energy to the other right the all-inclusive or this the logical stepwise and that's how our brains that's how society how a lot of the world is constructed like you know in these kind of like four kind of quadrants or energetic areas and i think for a lot of people they miss out you know um on uh, the steps, because uh, you know, certainly you see these things out there in the world, and you're like, well, I want to do that. Like that's what's mm -hmm. available. We're trained that way. Like, oh, I should do like my family are doing. I should go to the school like the other kids. I should go to, and certainly right. you should do three dimensional things. And at the end of the day, to your exact point, it's that you call it energy, call it spiritual. If you walk in a room, you feel the energy of the room. People have had that experience. There's energy there. Like, I mean, the, the, right, right now, the air is full of Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, phone signals. Like, it's a soup, 
right? And we just like, we, we, we go around like it's there, right? We just don't even, mm-hmm. you know, but yet the other energies, we, we like, you know, we push up against it. And, you know, spirituality, again, like you said earlier, is another one of these words that's like, ooh, God, you know, like I'm, you know, whatever, um, against that. And I think, you know, and, uh, you know, to your point, if you can, you know, meditate or calm the noise from the external world, even for a minute a day, so that people always say to me, like, how do, okay, Gordon, I get your whole big thing there, you know, uh, how do I, how do I start in my situation? I'm like, well, calm down, like, calm it. That's great to have the energy and great to have the power, but if you can get a little space, yeah. and I would like to see if you, if you, you know, this relates to your experience. Um, if you can get a little space for yourself, just a little tiny space, just even a minute per day or two minutes or even twice a day for a minute or something like that, a little space that's just yours, that you extract out or detox out, like remove all of that external focus and start focusing inwards. Like anybody can create anything from that stillness and that nothingness. In fact, it's where everything has always been created from. If you listen to anybody who's ever done anything ever and got any guidance or it's always, it's that there's something inside of you you tap into and no matter how much you get knocked down, you will never get knocked out of the game. Like it doesn't matter. Like there's something in you. I think of Mike Tyson and his like charity comebacks or whatever. And I've seen some videos of him boxing at, in his fifties now. And he, like real serious fighting people are like, no way. Like 25, four year old guys, right. Are like, I am not going near that guy. Like the energy that he had just in a pure physical realm, like, yeah. you know, but there are many examples I'm just using that just came to mind, but you know, the, <laughs> yes. you know like but he has problematic, but yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's not, you know, again, again, it's not the content, right? The context that he occupies is iconic. Like at 19, he was world heavyweight champion or whatever, you know, very, very young, you know, it's it's phenomenal. I, when you talk about his energy, I totally immediately got it. Like I, I, I can, there's something, right? I remember that energy, you know, it's like, it's unmistakable when somebody is tapped in, plugged into that source. Yeah, and that's all he did, like Customato and everything. And when Cust saw him, his coach saw him, he's like, that is the world heavyweight champion. Like, first time he saw him, I believe, it's, you know. Uh, you know, but now Mike Tyson, you know, he's gone through what he's gone through. And, you know, and he, very, very, like Elvis, right? Very famous, very young, right? And, you know, and whatever decisions he made and, you know, he didn't maybe have the structure for a while or, you know, but whatever choices he made. And then he went through spiritual awakening. He's now vegan, um, you know, all these different things, but like this guy is still seriously tapped into a Mike Tyson, iron Mike energy. And I'm just using that because the physical is typically, you know, really obvious, but like, you'll see that. And I wanted to ask you, uh, you see that I think in everybody that they find a space where they can tap down deeper and deeper mm-hmm. below all of this surface stress and shifting and changing, which by the way, folks is going to keep coming and those waves are going to get bigger. The people who succeed are tapped in so deep that it literally doesn't matter what happens on the surface. Like it matters, but it do- it's not what really makes the difference. It was that anything like your experience? Well, yes, but I will say that I am still, like you just said, it, it doesn't ever go away. And I am talking to someone 
right now who is just a, a lot like you. I'm talking to her. Um, what I found is every time I kind of hit a bottom and I kind of rebuild my way, um, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to have any hardships or things. I'm not going to have a bad day. Um, let me see if I can explain this. It's like the things that I'm dealing with now are different. I'm talking spiritually and, and my own peace of mind and my connection to spirit. The things that I'm dealing with today are very different from the other three times I sort of, you know, had to level up. And um, what I'm dealing with now, it, it feels different. And, um, but it, it, but it's also the same. And it's like, I know I can do it. I know I can do it because I've done it before. So I know that I can get myself quiet enough or, you know, I can work with my mind and get and, and level up again. Um, it, it's almost like every time you, you level up, that thing that you have to overcome feels deeper and and it's it's different in a way but um but my history has shown me that this is just part of the process and i've got to let it happen i've got to think about what i'm thinking about and i've got to see things um, a different way so that i can then take everything i've learned and move up and that's where i feel i am you know Wow. Yeah, I love that. That was, that was a great way to say it. I think um, I think about myself too in that context of I just live for other people lighting up. You're like I, you know, mm -hmm. like um, a lot of how I operate is quite metaphorically, right? I'll say things to people and they so they can't even follow my words. Like <laughs> yes. when I'm, you know, it's like on purpose, right? Like I'm I'm kaleidoscopically and holographically coming at people. So there's so much kind of like sort of confusion, not always, but as a, as an approach to other different than other coaches in that they can't work it out anymore. They can't work out. Oh, if I do this and this, or if I get these atomic habits and if I follow this and I get the software, yes, that will definitely help you to exit the 3d world that you're stuck in and get into a different concept or context of space and time for sure. There's a level above that where you can actually get mastery in your life. Like where you're not just trying to focus on fixing the past, you can actually get into the present and have mastery. I think of it like my black belt in judo. Like, you know, like I just have that, right? Like I, you know, I, I went and did Krav Maga, a completely different martial art from, you know, Israel, special defenses, special forces, whatever. And I was able, you know, after decades and after my bronze medal and my black belt and all that stuff I did in Europe, you know, uh, in the 90s. I was able still to tap into that. Or if somebody, you know, I want to speak, uh, I was in Costa Rica, I relocated there and I was able to speak French and uh, Spanish, which I learned in about six months and mm -hmm. English and uh, German uh, in one conversation to sort out a difficult uh, hotel room booking kind of fiasco. Like when I start thinking about these things, that once you it kind of embed those patterns. You have that mastery. Now, was, yes. was my martial art stuff pretty ropey? Yes. You know, um, was my language usage, you know, you know kind of chippy, choppy, broken up? Yes. Did those things get, those outcomes end up being, you know, way above where you would expect me to be? Yes. So 
it's this sort of thing of um no that's it's definitely your gift or one of your strong gifts is communicating with people um in a way that 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 does light them up you make people feel i know that people say you can't make people feel a certain way but you know what i mean like people you leave them feeling empowered and on fire you really do in a good way um <laughs> Um, <laughs> dumpster fire, right? <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying. It's so funny. Um, we're trying to both compliment each other, but I'm just going to take the lead here and compliment you because, sorry, uh, you know, you're just really someone that I really admire because of the, just the, the complexity of your creativity. Like, to me, you're like the quintessential artiste. Like, you really uh -huh. are the artist, right? And you're like, you know, uh, like I always think of movies and stuff, or even like reading about, you know, ancient sculptors or, you know, whatever art form, like you, you, you really embody that, you know, because um, I want you to talk a little bit about your book as well and the idea of not yes. just black bodies, but minds and souls and spirits. And, you know, uh, that, that is a really great compliment you just gave me because um, my favorite piece of art is uh, David by Michelangelo. Oh, my God. And goodness, I went yes. to Italy couple of years ago yes yeah and i went and i saw it and it um it is huge it, it makes is you cry humongous. it made and, me cry and but um there's the story i don't know if it's true or not but you know someone asked michelangelo how he knew how to paint how to sculpt that you know how did how did you know how to create this this david and he said i chipped away at all that was not david and it's such a simple and beautiful sentiment that I really have to remember that, you know, like chip away at everything that is not authentic and pure and that, that, that I feel makes me and, and then I will be okay. I just, I love that idea of chipping yes. away at, chipped away at all that was not David. And so I was left with this Scott, that sculpture is so beautiful, and not just because it's a naked man. It's just so beautiful. And to well, think he did that with his hands, I mean, it just, it, it, ugh. Yeah, exactly. And a, another shout out for the coaching approach, right? A guide who's not necessarily as skilled. Like Michelangelo was part of that kind of artisanal structure that existed for a lot of folks back then where they had somebody that they kind of apprenticed to or not that you know maybe they taught them the basic skills how to detox and get stuff out of the way and focus on this one thing and like why did michelangelo not get into knitting you know like and doing beautiful crochets of you know right so right. like and it's a tapping into the innate art in the part and then give it putting them in a, a very you know focused context where they can really develop their mastery and guiding and coaching them, not telling them, yeah. nobody told, like you said, nobody told Michelangelo to do it that way. And, um, right. you know, there and wasn't a consultant. For, right. He, he took that same route. Your readers, your viewers need to read the agony and the ecstasy. And uh, it just takes you into this whole other world of his life. And um, it's one of my favorite books. Um, but yes, he he began that way and he was an apprentice and then he began yeah he was you just have to read it it's it's a huge book right. fascinating his whole story yeah and yes exactly and so a lot of my thesis is you know we can actually have experiential innovation that's what exovation that neologism that new word that i kind of you know coined is all about like exovation like exovating is about creating 
new experiences um, of your like, innovating your own life from a sense of, you know, not knowing what your purpose is, whatever there are techniques. And I certainly bring people through like have a mantra they can use in a matrix kind of structure to filter out what's them, what's not them. And, you know, keeping themselves reminded of like sustaining, like really life is really about remembering who you really, really are, really are, but keeping those things chipped away. Cause one of the things in life is things can like get reattached. Like you chip away the Michelangelo David statue arm. And then you, you know, you leave it for a couple of weeks and you look back and it's all back as a clump of marble again right that's mm -hmm. sort of what can happen these kind of you know brain patterns can keep repeating and the ones that we learned to fit inside the system like i'm this skin color i'm this male female i've got this amount of money i have these abilities i have no abilities all these self-deluding self-sabotage mm -hmm. fearful stories we tell ourselves keep reattaching and reattaching so there's a lot of work to be done you know to train yourself to just clean those out like i don't have you know, if someone says to me, you know, you're going to run 26 miles tomorrow, like at any point, I'm like, yes, like I don't have or speak French right now. Go for it. You know, you know, like it's just I just have that inside of myself. It's a trained skill, if you will, not to kind of self praise but just like and other people have that too they just don't know it because there's so much more that gets reattached from the external world that right. they don't they're not a match for and that's the key you're not going to be a match for the for this future world that we're living into you're not going you're not you're not of it you can be um from it you can be from a country or a place in time or whatever you don't have to be a match what everyone else is doing it, it's an inside job hashtag inside job <laughs> you know to go inside of yourself and and put those out there and that's one of the things i love about what you've created in your life yes you've got your day job in the in the news world and creating stories and kind of scripting the the way we communicate you know in your way to the world about what's going on and you know in that and so that's 3d that's actually a part of the system and then you're also got you know the movie the the black bodies movie and mm -hmm. the book and you know we've heard you singing beautifully and you know poetry and like every form of creativity like is there one that you haven't touched you know so um maybe just and that's all that's all any human being you know those are things those are my expressions. And that is um, a perfect way to describe what the Black Bodies Project is about. We, you know, I don't want to use, uh, I'm not even going to go there. The whole, you know, we, people have been saying, you know, the knee on the neck of, of whatever. And so we know that, we get it. But that is what I want. Get the systems out of the way so that every human being can get access and gain access to who they really are. You cannot do that when you have systems holding you down. That's why so many people end up in prison. That's why so many young girls end up pregnant. That's why there are so many people impoverished. We gotta get rid of those systems that are holding us back from accessing who we truly are. So that, you know, imagine, imagine a world where people were free to really explore who they were and to bring forth all their gifts and talents. Uh, and um, that's it, it's just time. It is, it is happening. We are in one of the phases 
with this latest great awakening, we've all felt a shift and we don't have to, you know, pretend we haven't. When you have, you know, NFL commissioners and, and companies uh, making statements, there has been a shift. Is it the shift? We'll, we'll see. But it's time. Enough. Let people be who they are. Let them grow and give and express themselves. That is what the Black Bodies Project is, and we're going to shine a light specifically on Black people. But this is this is a humanity issue. It's about all of humanity. Yeah, and I, I love how you, how you just created that. Just you know, just got up one day with your your camera and a question, you know, and yep. and started creating it. Right, <laughs> like really, well, yeah. really, right? Yeah. You know, and and then you know, you said another thing which is partner up. So, you know, do something that you think that'd be cool. I would enjoy doing that. And yes. you went out and you partnered up and find other people and like, then they can see your stuff, right? So I was, right. when I work with people who are writing books or whatever they're up to and, um, you know, uh, it's really like, go create it. Like start getting a habit of creating some stuff, about a hundred words a day. Like I love when you, mm -hmm. you talk to me about some of the, um, you know, your own family, who are creative, like who, yep. um, if you want to speak to that a little bit, but like who just start creating a YouTube channel or doing voice work or just putting oh their yes. creative, like no one's heard of them. They're not like, you know, Oprah or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in terms of popularity at this time, but you don't even have to be. Right. Like it just impact. You don't have to be anymore. Right. This is, this is where the world is going. Um, yeah. I mean, my nieces, well, I, my, whole family is musically inclined. My brother, my big brother started playing piano without any lessons. And he, oh my God, he plays better than Liberace. He's amazing. And it's all by ear. He plays music by ear. My other, my little brother plays guitar, same thing. He didn't have any formal training, but he, just like B.B. King, he can mix up his style. He can do the strumming. He can do the plucking. He can do anything. It's amazing. My sister is a beautiful singer. My nieces and nephews. My daughter is, um, she's like, Haley is just, she's, she's an actor, but she, she does uh, stage acting and voice acting, but she's a singer. She's a performer. She's just out there and, um, uh, Shout so, out yes. to Haley. <laughs> yes, I grew up around music in the black yeah, church and yeah. you know it just is again something intrinsic but we all have we all have something, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I certainly can relate to that too. I mean my my father, you know, built his own guitar, you know, designed to build his own guitar <laughs> and then taught himself how to play it and you know my brother and sister both yeah. both you know he had the engineer plus the um you know the musical side and it was quite mathematical which often is tied together but yep. um, my brother and sister mm -hmm. both got into the instruments and i tried so hard to learn to play guitar and stuff and you know i just couldn't like i just wasn't like to me it's my voice you know like shut up gordon but yeah like it's it it's it's voice it's language it's um and yeah if i get to a point i think um i would say to you know to anybody is like just accept who you are like yeah. like i mean people like say I had verbal diarrhea, you know, like that, you know, be accused of that at school or whatever, right? And just like total, like, what is this, you know? And even right now, people are thinking the same thing. But, um, you know, <laughs> my point is like, you know, like I'm literally, this is really who I am. I'm really excited about, you know, here's, here's, here's a little image that I would just like to kind of, you know, pull together. It's like, what if 
people who didn't care much about black people who were white. If white people who didn't care much, didn't know much, but they started to see black people playing piano. And, you know, you know, when you started saying about like BB Kings, I love the blues like so much, like, uh, you know, um, and all that stuff. And like, just could see that, you know, incredible, like, almost, you know, when we watched watch Yo-Yo Ma play the cello, I was like, oh my God, it was turned to tears. And like, but if people could appreciate that, like that artistry, that discipline, that ability, that innate awe that you have of somebody producing sound and music. A lot of people think actually the universe was generated from vibrational sound tones. In fact, Tesla, Nikola Tesla talked a lot about that, uh, but the, the three, six, and nine vibrations. Anyway, um, but if, if this idea that it may be the creativity of, of every group of people could be displayed to other people and you started getting really connected. I'm not saying everyone needs to get into liberal arts, but everything's an art form. I mean, driving monster trucks is an art form. You know, I have, I have a friend um, who, you know, probably one of my best friends, you know, in, in Austin, if not the world, um, who will only ever get the best Harley Davidson and then add all the extra possible things to it at great personal expense. And, but he loves it. He loves the, that. And that's his art. He wants to express himself through those machines. And, you know, and so like, this is the thing, like we need the art and the science. And we keep looking at the world since the 17th century in an industrialized scientific way that's the lens it's the masculine hierarchy and that, that i would say that structure has had its day it's actually ending and we're crossing over into a more feminine more holistic more creative you know view of the world and that's what i would love to see if anything is that more people expressing i think of yeah. um toby in from houston um yeah. Uh, I can't remember how you, how you spell it. Is it N-W-I-G-E or something? Mm -hmm. I can't quite remember. G -W -E, but W-E maybe. Yes. Maybe, yeah. Type in, it in. It'll Kobe Nguigwe, yeah. Phenomenal, yes. right? This massive football player guy uh, just under the thumb of his wife, you know, doing what she says and she's diminutive and gorgeous and their love story that they have and, you know, like just twirling each other's hair on a Sunday and putting it up on Instagram. Like these, everything is there. Like, and you know, it's not like, you know, oh yeah, yeah, Pollyanna, like, hey, if everyone just plays music, then the world's gonna be kumbaya, peace and love. And, no, you know, like, he's a messenger. They are messengers. Messenger, know? and like, what is right. your art? What is your form? What right. do you get passionate about? Like, I'm passionate about talking about stuff. Like, you know, and I'm people who are raising human consciousness and shining a light on that. Like, we are the, the light. That's the thing is I would ask people, and I have to say really quickly um, that I didn't say my mom is the, an, an amazing singer and my dad is not, I've never really heard him sing, but he really loves country music. So I need to get that in there. Yeah, but to yeah. what you're saying, um, I would <clears throat> challenge everyone who does find that light, who, who like takes the time, looks within, you already know, you already know what that is. I would challenge more people to begin to use that gift, that talent, that consciousness, that knowing in ways that make the world better. So for me, you know, for me, this is the way um, all of that is, has, is being expressed for me is, is racism. And there is a personal connection to that. And I feel really empowered when I, when I do this work. Um, you know, to hear you talk about what it is, your, your connection to consciousness and people, 
I, I would challenge people to learn what that is that they have and then to use it in some way to make our world better. Not everybody wants to fight, you know. I think there are some, some, and I'd love your opinion on this quickly. I think that there are some really big, there's probably like three or four big global issues that we've got to come to terms with. And racism around the globe is one of those issues, you know. Um, but I would, and, and the environment is a huge one, you know, what we're doing to our mother earth. But I would love to see more people using those ex those expressions they have to make our world better in some way. What do you think of that? Well, exactly. Exactly. That's the point. And even when it's the darkest of dark nights of the soul, you know, there's still a light. There's, you got to know. You got to know there's still that spark inside you. That pilot light yeah. is still on. Like it's on. Like it might just right. be a, a candle flickering, you know, in a desert, like uh, of darkness, like, and it's on and everyone has, everyone has a shard of the light of consciousness of the universe. So whether you're right. into religion or spirituality or none of the above, like are just excited by monster trucks, whatever it is, there's a mm -hmm. thing in you like you, you, you know, something inside you goes is harmonically going like it's like that's the thing right you know you see the other beautiful human that you look over at and you're like there's something right mm -hmm. or you know when people get attracted or like but you know it's not just even the physicality of the chemicals or anything there's something in there and it's okay to re to like the people that are like you and to be you know to be right. curious or have interesting you know feelings about the people that are not like you that's okay the thing is like what's your thing and if you were if each individual were able to do that then all of these systemic issues go away if everyone loved a cow and a pig and a sheep as much as their dog and their cat we would not torture them we would not put them in our bodies and then the viruses would not go through the animals and try to get to humans because they know as viruses only they they only have one mission and that is to spread as much as possible because they're not alive. They're trying to put their DNA into their viral DNA into cells that will spread as much as possible. Therefore humans, because humans go everywhere. Sheep don't travel quite as much or, you know, we've had the cow, mad cow disease and the avian flu and the bat thing and the swine, flu, you know, so if we could get that inside of ourselves and go do that work of and for ourselves and just I'm taking the animal angle here, and respect animals and, and what they are doing as uh, you know equally across the board then actually the a lot of these viral issues wouldn't even happen because the pathway is i think they call it zoonotic is through humans it's going from animal you know and you can talk about whether it's invented in wuhan or whatever but like all of these things ahead of us climate change if we were all able to individually make a shift and a change even if it's in poetry even if it's in you know right. sandals like i don't know something mm -hmm. if you're doing your thing you are impacting energy einstein told us energy equals mc squared the mc squared side is just the material world the physics the physical world the e is the other side that's energy so he told us and we all believe it that's how we operate these days energy equals stuff everything is energy and if you're able to alter the energy, there's no different energy. It's all the same, whether it's voice patterns or Wi-Fi or love or whatever it is, or poetry or, you know, basketball, 
it's all energy at different levels of vibration to sort of kind of super long way as is my way to answer your question <laughs> if we were to tune in in even especially in the darkest of times to our own energy vibration and start letting that flow out into the world that is what will actually create the world that we'd like to see as gandhi told us also be the change he didn't say go mm -hmm. do the thing he didn't say you can protest you can do whatever you want but you know it's like be that you everybody is everyone has always said this echoes through time it's echoes through since the beginning of time everybody's always said the same thing like be the change take this middle path you know try to include everybody but part of the problem is now we sort of hear about everything from everybody it's so much noise even me speaking is so much extra noise and well that's so, that's why you can't try to do something someone else is doing because right. it looks cool or because right. it sounds right be it like what and, and it already it's already there it's already within who you are i believe be that be that thing and that is what will i love everything you're saying i i totally um i feel that you know excellent and, and, and you can't go wrong this is something yes. else. We're, we're all so afraid of making the wrong i've made I've made many, many wrong choices, but we're so afraid of making a mistake. And I guarantee you, anyone who sees my film will realize, okay, this, this Steven Spielberg did not produce this, but that's okay because it's, it's not Steven Spielberg. It's the film that came from me and um, it serves a different purpose, but, but, um, but it's already there. Don't be afraid to use that power, shine that light and uh that alone will will make a difference could not have said it better myself so what's next for you i know there's a book we haven't talked much about the book and you had other concepts i believe are uh, beyond black bodies do you want to say a little bit like what's next well, like what what would you yes. like yeah i think that the the film is, is a big thing right now and then yes we produced a book last year uh, a beautiful portrait book which was made with a lot of love. Uh, 30 black people in the Austin area. They each uh, posed for three photographers, myself, Brian Diggs, and oh my God, um, um, I'm gonna have to look her name up. It, these things aren't just coming, I'm sorry, they're not just coming to me right away. Um, uh, uh, I'll get her up. name. But three photographers, and we each took pictures of uh, 30 black people in Austin who are doing amazing. They've done that. They've reached in and they've, they've right. found that thing that makes them light up Did the and work. they are yeah. using it and they are not just shining the light in their own homes. They're helping their community. So the, the whole idea was to shine a light on these 30. And that was just a number that we came up with. There are many, many more black people in the Austin area who are doing great things. So the book is called Benevolence in Black. And um, each of those 30 people, there are two beautiful portraits of each one. And then each person wrote a first person essay describing some same question, what does it mean to be black? Describing some aspect of their blackness. So that is something that we've produced we are there are books available if you go to blackbodiesproject.com uh they're there you can order a book from the website and we are a young organization so we are trying to figure out what we want to do next we know we want it to be with um 
you know, some sort of multimedia, maybe it's short films, more interviews, um, but we're working on that. Well, you had mentioned to me um, before the show about um, black minds and black spirits. And is that something you're still exploring beyond, like kind of to kind of make a series of like different levels of dimensional views of the world, consciousness levels, or <laughs> like, what do you think about all that stuff? That was certainly the way we handled the book. And if you look at the acknowledgements page on the book, your name is there because you were the one who planted that seed in me. I was, I remember I was trying to figure out how to categorize the different people in the book. And you said something about body, you know, the, the film is called Black Bodies, but you, you mentioned the mind, the heart, the spirit. And I thought, I am stealing that. Um, <laughs> the other photographer, her name is Tika Cook. T-I-K-A Cook, and she is a phenomenal, I, I, the name just spaced me. And here's the thing, I have never physically met Tika Cook. Uh, this was all something that we did. I reached out to people. I asked for um, nominations in the community on Facebook for people to be included in the book. So this isn't just like, I'm gonna put my sister in here and I'm gonna put my best friend. These people in the book were nominated by their peers in Austin. Um, and Tika Cook, I put a call out and I said, I need um, some amazing black photographers. I cannot pay you. I told them that this is a project that I've, I put my money into the project. I said, I can't pay you, but you will have this book with your portraits in there. And she came and said, I want to do it. And so did Brian Dave. Wow. So, so anyway. Yeah, so kudos to you. For, and thank you for the acknowledgement. I didn't even know I was acknowledged in there. But I, I will tell you, though, the source of that comment, which you actually developed further. So kudos right back to you, uh, was when I watched the Black Bodies movie, like, I wanted to know, like, who are these people? What's their backstory? Like, how do they spiritually approach the world? Or are they just like, you know, the white man has beat us down and you know we need to say something about like you know you know some sort of like superficial you They're know not like that yeah right exactly of course and that didn't come across like I, you know i was like this is interesting this is a different group of black people like i haven't seen this on the tv before on the big screen like, that's the thing that's what i think makes it so that's why i think people are drawn compelling. to it and i'm grateful for every single person who has ever watched it but I, I have to, I, I feel I have to be careful when I say this because it comes out sounding very bad. But right now, we're really, we're talking about police, police brutality, police violence. Um, and that is definitely an aspect of system, systemic racism that we're seeing. Like we're, we're able to see that video of that terrible thing that that police officer did and we can get angry about it. What we're not seeing day in, day out, are people like the people in the film who are no better than say George Floyd or Rayshard Brooks, any of these beautiful human beings who have these interactions with police officers. Um, that is but one element of the racism we're talking about. And in the film, we have people who are students. We have a judge, we have a former councilwoman, we have a former TV news personality. These are just your everyday people who still feel the same kinds of things that we see on video, but, um, but we don't recognize them day yeah. to day. 
Yeah, for sure. I think there's so many levels that works on, like, you know, a Spielberg movie, you know, sort of works on, you know, usually on one or two levels, you know, designed in the corporate model of generating funds, right, profit. Um, I think the more independently created work, it does have that natural human flair to it and, and works on many, many different levels. And I, I predict, sort of again, a little clairvoyant Gordon here for a second, but I predict that that's the type of thing people are going to be hungering for, for more and more as we become more technologically, you know, kind of controlled and we have more kind of deep fakes and, you know, all this kind of, you know, generated video and text and many things from an artificial and uh, intelligence, especially when most people have a reading age, unfortunately, of, you know, eighth grade, I think, in America. So, like, yeah. what is that, like, 13, 14 um, if you were to measure people according to whatever measurements. But, and so it, it's quite likely that, you know, we'll continue with these superficial levels of media communication and therefore never really get to the depth. And I think there will be, you know, it should be continued that way, but I think there will be a moment in time when uh, we're going to want to be more human as we become more in, yeah. you know, enraptured and controlled by these technological systems when people will demand more for, in terms of surveillance and, you know, ability to go back to work by scanning your phone or whatever and having your DNA uploaded so you're clean of the virus or whatever may happen, but like, you know, using technology to kind of manage the situation at scale as it maybe even spikes and gets worse even this year, but like maybe for years to come for the rest of this decade and other systems around climate change and sustainability and the environment like just the whole context that we're in is it gets noisier and just a level of i use that as a way of saying more complex that humans can't really manage any of it we already are like have no clue what's right. going on and the lowest level people in society that haven't as much power in the society are the first to really get hurt badly by it oh, yeah. uh then you know i think that what you're your life's work thus far has been about and what you're putting out there and hopefully other people will be inspired by is like the human element. Like, you know, this phrase of people are the next big thing. Like literally, like who are these humans? And that's what I was inspired by when I watched, I think probably the third or fourth watching uh, of your movie, uh, Black Thank Bodies you. that, well, of course. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to, it wasn't, you know, that um, it's so human. Like it's really, it's a human story. Like it's really human. And now we have the power. Luckily we do have technology that can help us really spread that message, get it out there. I love how you, you, know, you said you partnered up and, yes, you know. And that, that's the whole thing is, um, you know, one of the things that really irritated me about you when we first met was um, what I, you know, I, the facts that you would tell me about America and I would just think, you know, God, he's, you know, so, um, I don't even know the words, you know, just like he's just so full of himself and, you know, but it, it is true. Like this is only the beginning. America, we, we've gotten really, really good at being, um, I'll say that we, we don't see far beyond our borders. We don't really see beyond, you know, we don't learn the sorts of things that people from other countries learn about uh, other countries. We're very insulated. We're, we're very, you know, our whole world is, is not even America sometimes. Sometimes the whole world is just the state you live in. And when you have a state as big as Texas, that makes sense. But, but we've got to, to start seeing the world as, as this whole thing. So 
dealing with racism here at home makes a lot of sense to me as you know at least one of the steps toward opening ourselves up to oh my god there's this whole world out there that we are a part of and we're impacting and what is the world made of there's all of these human beings that are really essentially the same except that we've just created all of these different constructs that keep us separated that is the the dream is to have people begin to see everyone else as fellow humans what you feel they feel what you eat they eat what you think they might be thinking but we won't get there if we keep ourselves closed off you know exactly 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 well this has been incredible um we covered so many different topics, but, um, you know, two and a half Thank hours. Thank you for having me on here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My absolute honor and pleasure. Absolutely. Um, I always have show notes that I kind of work from, and I asked every question and said everything that I wanted to say. <laughs> yes. so, but uh, anything else you did, we didn't cover? I'd love to have you back, by the way, at some future point and see the updates of, uh, of your um, – your Black Bodies project, and I just really encourage everyone to to watch the movie. Um, anything else that um, you want to make sure that we we say for this episode? No, just thank you very much, and um, I really love what you're doing and what you put together here, and um, the partnership of it is really quite beautiful. That you allow people on your space to share what they're doing, and then they can open their space up to you and what and the work that you're doing and i think it's really phenomenal well thank you for that acknowledgement and um you're truly inspirational uh let's see more of you out there please if i had one wish or desire request i just really want to see more of the creativity that i know you have and your support of other uh folks with with similar creativity and that you know that you've shown already uh in the, the you know less than the first half of your life but you've already shown you know a path ahead and you're shining a light and you're an, an artist mm -hmm. and um you know really uh a leader for a lot of people and often it's it's something that we who end up looking around and seeing that we're in the lead <laughs> like don't really want to be in that position and uh i just really would encourage you to to keep creating that and thank you for for just you know sharing so much of yourself and your thoughts and uh, hopefully, folks will uh, will take this on and uh, go watch the movie. Black Bodies is the thing to go see, folks. Please check it out. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, and two other quick things. Uh, if you're on iTunes... If you could uh, give me some stars and a comment, I hear that that helps uh, spread the word about the podcast. And uh, I think if you're on anchor.fm, uh, that you can uh, favorite me and uh, it tells me that you can leave a voice message for requests for podcasts or comments and stuff like that. So any interaction like that would be great. And finally, you can find me at gmeta, G-M-E-T-A, at G-M-E-T-A on Twitter for uh, keeping up to date with what I'm thinking about. Uh, I'll be building a new Twitter account pretty soon too. So that's it for now. Bye.